Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers, episode 124, Tales of the Night Fort, featuring K2. This is Matt, and with me as always is my buddy Scatty. Oh, thanks Huey for the intro, I appreciate it. Felt good. Felt, felt good. Oh, felt weird. <laughs> felt like I was wearing boxers instead of briefs. <laughs> it's an interesting feeling to switch it around every once in a while. Especially. The stranger, they call that. That's what the str- Isn't that the stranger? I think it is. Anyway... We're here tonight with K2, Hi. who many of you probably <laughs> probably know uh, from Twitter and other other spaces in the internets. Uh, K2 is someone that honestly I don't remember exactly when we met. We met. I remember for sure that a couple of years ago we started interacting more in earnest with uh, a song of madness, and you interacting more with a bigger role. As you developed cakes for the competition, she pretty uh, much single-handedly created the hype game for a song of madness. Yes, I feel yes, like, like. absolutely. <laughs> you delivered a video when we didn't ask for one, and we were like, "Oh my god, this is amazing! This, this what whole, what did we just what? find? <laughs> Who is this person? And she and how do, how do we grab like, on? <laughs> yeah, how do we grab onto this person and never let her join any other fandoms except ours? Uh, it was too fun. Oh. I, I do it's I, I get slightly obsessive when I have a task. As you can tell. Well, we are the benefactors <laughs> so. of your obsession because what great stuff you deliver and how fun it is to interact with you. But. Super fun. Super fun. I was super honored, especially because we were in lockdown when we did weren't we? I think so, the first case. We yeah. were in it was Yeah, it was we well, were just barely it was kind of just barely getting into the pandemic. No, no, it would have been a year after, right? Because it was 2021, the first one. I think one. it was. We had been oh, okay. you're in right. you've done COVID. Right. Right. Yeah, so I think there was just so much thirst for interaction. Mm-hmm. And I personally found a tremendous amount more on Twitter in those few years than I had prior. Prior, I just kind of played around. And then, so it was just so necessary to have those interactions so anyway it was super fun to do and to be in on the secret early i love that part oh it was fun to have you it was fun to share that stuff with you yeah it was cool it was really good she knew it all guys she knew it all and she didn't say a word (laughs) we we trust k2 with the secrets every every song of madness and no one knows but she but I don't think she's the weak link either. I don't think she'd give them up for like under torture. So. Oh, I would nope. totally give them up before she did. Yeah. All you, <laughs> have, sure. to, all yeah. you have to do is tickle me anywhere on my do, body. I don't even have a specific spot and I will. Totally do you anywhere. have a donut? I will give you the secrets for a donut. Uh, okay. Well, Katie's a wonderful human. Uh, we'll talk more so about her in a little bit. Yeah. Very glad to have you here. And the chapter you've picked is a great one. Let's get into a few announcements, though, before we jump into the chapter. We did just release what I call a rollicking good time with our patron hangout for Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Uh, we fingered that film a little bit harder than Gareth Edwards might have liked. We did. But it was exactly how hard most of us enjoyed. Right. Yeah, we left satisfied, I think, most of us. But it Which was, I think it you'd say is the goal of most fingerings. Right, so, right. It was a really fun time. We had a wretched hive of scum and villainy on the call with us. And uh, just was it's it's such a blast to be able to 
hear your thoughts and interact with you on that level. So looking forward to more. We'd love it, Kalisar, if you joined us on Patreon so that uh, you could be a part of these hangouts with us. We'd love to have even more people there. And, we and you can go check out on, on Patreon. If you're at the, uh, at the shoddy level or above, you can go watch, watch us finger Rogue One. So go check it out on our patron, patron site if you're a patron. It's got video and everything, guys. Video and everything. <laughs> video and everything. And we do have more on the way. Uh, our regular episodes, we have one more Meet the Kalasar episode on the docket. We've got scheduled. And then maybe a couple, a couple episodes Matt and I are considering maybe just the two of us back again yeah. for this yeah, summer talking we, about we, it yeah we're summer's difficult to bit. pin down schedules so it's yeah. easier to schedule with two people than three we'll see we'll see but it's been mad it's been a while since the two of us talked ice and fire a song of ice and fire just the two of us right now yeah. i mean we're on like our 20th or 22nd or something episode with with a guest and we haven't talked ice and fire by ourselves for a while do you think so there would he, come a point where, like, I say something, then you say something, and then we just sit there quietly expecting a third person like, to say something? Yeah, what is, what is the guest going to say? <laughs> That's your cue! Well, we thought that, though, when, when we went down, when uh, it went to just the two of us. We wondered how it would be, and it went okay. So this, this will be The new normal, the you time. called it. Yeah. yeah. We did okay. We yeah. did okay. All right. Yeah. Anyways. Um, and then, yeah. I had, to, I had to skew less negative. I remember that. Because I was negative, and you guys were kind of, you brought me up a little bit, and that, then I had to go a little less negative. I, I was kind of more positive, and then Brooke was like the tether the that middle. held us together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that explains why we fell apart. <laughs> so we're like, we really need to get someone else in here. <laughs> <laughs> so Cav, it only took a big us job 50 episodes to figure that out. <laughs> you got a big job ahead of you tonight, my friend. There's also, <laughs> there's also more Patreon content coming your way. Uh, this month we haven't pinned down exactly which episode we're going to do yet, but uh, there's more coming. So look out for that as well, patrons. Uh, and let's let's get into the chapter tonight. Yeah, what are we tonight, what are we studying, man? What are we reading? What are we talking about? Matt, you were supposed to look at the notes before right now, <laughs> but uh, tonight we're looking at Brand Four from A Storm of Swords, sometimes oh. just called the Night Fort chapter. That one. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's a creepy chapter of stories and legends, but also some real growth from Bran and his friends as they cross the wall a Rubicon of sorts into a new chapter of their lives into the old forest of the North. Bran's chapters are pretty isolated from everybody else, usually, but in this chapter he does run into Sam, which is interesting. So we might talk a little bit about John, depending on where we go. We're sure to talk a bit about Bran's journey north, uh, as well as how he got here. So that's what's probably what's coming in this episode. Probably not a lot of talk about other people in the series, though. Yeah, probably not. Um this has been a lot of fun doing Meet the Kalisar, and we'd love to hear your thoughts on it. So reach out to us. You know how to interact with us. We like interacting with you. You can find us at wearedavosfingers at gmail.com. We're on Twitter all the time. You can find and like us on Facebook. And uh, please check out our Patreon content at patreon.com slash davosfingers. All right? So that's how to get hold of us, K2. Mm. How do the adoring fans of not just Davos Fingers, but K2 Cav, Get in touch with you. How? Where do we find you? Um, usually, I uh, you can pretty much find me on Twitter, K two Cav at K two Cav. Not that complicated. I am in a lot of discords and other things, but I'm not that active. So you can find me in there, but I'm usually Twitter's just the recommend. I just don't. Yeah, I don't have time for multiple. 
chat rooms. That's kind of where I am. Yeah, it's like I've settled on Twitter and that's where I want yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. I, it's too complicated to try to be everywhere, so I'm not. You're also pretty modest, though, K2, about your level of involvement on Twitter because we met someone, you and I both, at, at Ice and Fire Con this year. Uh, we call her Black Alley. And she had no idea what Twitter was. And you promised her at the con. I th- think I was there for one of the promises. Anyway, you promised mm-hmm. her that you'd like you'd get her engaged in Twitter. Mm-hmm. And you're very you're very helpful to people and very engaging on Twitter. Yeah. If you follow K two, you're not getting just another person you're following. You're getting someone that will engage with you. So that's just my recommend. Follow K two. Yeah, we were at the bar on the first night, and that's yeah. where we met her. Yeah. And she was referring to herself as some other alley. I wish I remembered. And I was like, no, no, no. I think she just alley. used her name. She it, was like, she, no, she was my name's Allie. Well, what's another alley in the story? It wasn't Good Queen. There was another one. And I was like, Black And mm. we were, you know, already drinking. So she we basically was, named her Black Alley. I, yeah, beige I feel like the, alley. Was, the Beige Alley. <laughs> beige Alley. <laughs> it, it, yeah. Chartreuse Maroon, Alley. We were very clever. She was in Black. I remember. <laughs> and so yeah. the two of us, the, the, two, of us, nose on the, the two of us Mensa similar. members, we as Mensa members were like, Black Alley. We got you. So yes. Yes. Anyway, anyway, the point is uh, very engaging on Twitter. Reach out to K2 yeah. and follow her if you can. She's awesome and friendly. One of those and... fandom glue pieces. That's you, K2. Yeah. Aww. Keeps us really all connected. Are. Yeah, you really I'm are. very sticky. Well, <laughs> I love that you both just went silent. <laughs> I did the opposite of going silent. <laughs> well, well. And then just were like, yes, this is going to be a fine evening. <laughs> yeah. All right. Laughter aside, shall we dig into the chapter summary part one for Brand 4, the Night 4 chapter? Five, six, seven. Brandon Stark, won't you come back down from that tower your mind's been flying from? Your legs don't work, but they don't really need to work when that third eye's showing you new ways unexplored. And the summer's gonna come, you know it's gonna come, summer's gonna come, and boy, you're gonna fly away. Okay. Mira, Jojen, and Hodor, with a princeling on his back, have arrived at the night fort an empty but grim castle at the base of the wall. A castle with a scary past, full of tales of things that go bump in the night. Mira thinks it's just another castle, but Bran knows better. Not only was the night fort creepy, but Bran was also bothered by a dream Summer had had, a dream where Rob and Greywind die, a dream of the Red Wedding, a dream he had hoped was not true. And as Bran recalls all the scary stories of the night for, he recalled two Maester Lewin, insistent that they shouldn't be believed. For what it was worth, it looked okay today, but it still sounded scary. Scrabbling sounds of rats under the floor, the wind whistling through empty towers, and the sound of dead leaves scraping across the yard. Castle may have been empty, but it was still spooky. Perhaps the biggest problem with coming to the Night Fort is that he knew there was no way through. Bran knew that this castle had been abandoned and the way through sealed, like all the other abandoned castles. But he had to fight against the iron will of Jojen, who had had a green dream about coming to the Night Fort. Yep. 
Jojen doesn't mess around with his dreams. He follows them. Bran had wanted to follow the King's Road to Castle Black to warn them of the approaching party of wildlings, but again, Jojen offered wisdom. They are four. What could they do against the wildlings they saw? Yeah, a hundred of them or so. So the night four became their destination instead. And though now that they were here, they're at a bit of a loss of what to do next. Mira climbs the wall, hoping to see something, anything, that might give them a lead on what to do next. While she does, Jojen and Bran search the castle, finding... Little of value. It's abandoned, remember? There are rats. Summer kills one. And a labyrinth of tunnels below that Bran will not let them enter. Smart move, Bran. Uh, but there's not much else. The exploring prompts Bran to give some history and some stories. The Night Fort is the oldest of all the castles at the Wall. So. But it was abandoned for Deep Lake, a new castle built 200 years ago at the re- recommendation of my good queen, Alisane. But that keep is also now abandoned, along with all the rest beside Castle Black, Eastwatch, and the Shadow Tower. But the tales are maybe the more interesting part. Bran tells one of them before Mira returns. The 79 Sentinels. 79 deserters betrayed by one of their own fathers, Lord Riswell, and brought back to the Wall. They continue their watch frozen in the carved-out ice cells within the Wall itself, looking over the haunted forest for an eternity. And then Mira returns with little to report. Forest as far as the eye can see, and no way down from the Wall prompting Mira to reconfirm if this is really the castle Jojen had dreamed of? Yes, it was. And yes, Jojen is sure there is a gate here. They settle in for the night, selecting to sleep in the kitchen. But as they do, Bran remembers old man stories of the Night King, 13th leader of the Watch. He fell in love with a woman with white skin and blue eyes. He caught her, loved her, named her his queen. Together they, what'd they do? (laughs) They ensorcelled. Together they ensorcelled the Night's Watch. Come on, man, that's an English word. The Night's Watch and rules for 13 years. I should be leaning closer. Ensorcelled. It's good. Uh, The ensorceling happened for 13 years. He was eventually sacrificed, though, uh, when he was defeated to the others, and was put down by the Starks and the wildlings, a merging of their talents together. An unsettling feeling for Bran, sleeping in a place that the Night's King once roamed. The kitchens were unsettling enough on their own. Cold tile, gaping ovens that looked like open mouths, and a huge well in the middle, with steps cut into the sides, leading down an indeterminable distance. Nodor, of course, decides to test it by throwing a slate tile down the well. Oh, you shouldn't have done that. You don't know what's down there. You might have heard something... Or woken something up, Bran says. And for a moment, Bran is sure he heard something thrashing about below. Maybe we shouldn't stay here. By the well or at the night fort, Mira asks him. Yes, Bran replies. With sass. <laughs> I love sass. that. It's Bran sassy. Has, Bran has a lot of um, kind of dry humor in this chapter. Maybe not a lot, but there's like three or four lines that surprises me with Bran's humor and that one made me laugh out loud. I agree with you. This one's almost yeah. current, right? Like that's a current that's something somebody would say now. This or that? Yes. Yes. You see that all the time. I agree. Yeah, he's kind of a nice mix of Cat and Eddard in that way and that 
Cat yeah. was very animated and everything, and, and Eddard's more dry, and so Bran's really a combination of the two. It's nice. Yeah, I have I have some notes on that too. Bran's pragmatism in this chapter is is interesting. He talks about uh, we didn't really talk about it in the summary, but he talks about the path through the gate that Jojen insists exists is closed. It's, like, it's sealed, just man. not like, there. Like, we, we I don't know what else to tell you. Like, <laughs> like we can't just crawl through what is now frozen ice and rock. It's closed, man. Here's the problem sir, with this green is a, Sir, this is a Wendy's. <laughs> Here's the problem with green but, dreams. They give you, like, they don't give you a lot of yourself? practical application for, like, like there's a gate. Mm. Great. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. What next? Wonderful. Like, Wonderful. I'm glad. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of what next that comes along with the green dreams and so it's fun to and, see this competition almost between Jojen and Bran. If Jojen's like, well, we just got to go. That's just what you got to do. And he's like, why? Doesn't, doesn't he say in there, um, Jojen's like, my green dreams don't lie. And Bran's like, they don't open gates either. Smackdown. Exactly. They're like a comedy sketch. Yeah. yeah. Disagreement through this chapter. But well, it's it's Bran being pragmatic. He's like, listen, I understand you dreamt about it. I know that these gates are closed. This is what they do when they leave. We're Starks. We have a history with the watch. We know what they do when they leave these castles. He's very pragmatic. And, you know, I feel like Bran's very different from Ned in, in several ways, but the pragmatism's there with him. He also has a deep sense of duty and honor, familial support. You know, wanting to, he wants to go to Castle Black. He mentions it in this section. Again, not really covered in the summary exactly, but he wants to go to Castle Black, not only because he thinks it's the best way through the wall, but to, to, to warn the Night's Watch about these wildlings coming, despite the fact that it's four against a hundred and that they're behind them by a day. He still wanted to do it. It's inane, but he has that sense of honor that Ned has instilled in him, you know, just from growing up with him. Yeah, and the tales of just knights and everything. and. Mm-hmm. Um, He's a kid that pays yep. attention. His retention is off the charts. That kid remembers more details about yeah. one story than I remember about what I had for breakfast this morning. Like, the kid's just sharp as a tack. He only has nine years of things to remember, though. That's true. <laughs> like, we are, <laughs> I got a lot more years of things to remember. That's fair. So I have a lot more things that I've forgotten. That's fair. That's I fair. Also, the good news. Right. Go ahead. No, no I was going to say one of the things I caught when I was reading through, or some things like I was saying earlier, like when something comes to me right away, that's kind of what I follow. Mm-hmm. And the fear, right? It's a horror story. If you're actually reading the chapter, there's a lot of really cool descriptive language, but it's it opens with him talking about fear. He's fearful that the dream is true. He's very fearful throughout the whole chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, the story of the knights, the knights king was a warrior who knew no fear, and that was the fault in him. Right, she all would add, "For all men must fear. know fear." Yeah. And it's super interesting how much he wants George wants us to be afraid or recognize the fear. One of the two or both. Um, and I wonder though if that's part of his motivation because some of it could have been he was afraid to go where they were going and going with John or following them might have actually been less scary despite the wild beings following yeah. them. Yeah. A real threat versus a perceived horror threat, an unknown the threat. Unknown right? versus the known. Yeah. And that's human yeah. nature, right? We're going to go the less scary route. At least I am every single time. <laughs> right. Yeah. Stay on this side of the wall. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Anyway. 
and for some reason, like we, we can't, the, the human consciousness has a has trouble separating real threats. Like a hundred wildlings is a real threat versus like supernatural, less understood threats. That's scarier. Let's avoid that. It's a hundred people that will murder you for sure. Right. But humans struggle with that. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll take I'll take a moment to just uh, note that if you want. So we'll we'll talk about more of them for sure. But if you want a deep dive on on some of the legends of the night fort, you can go to YouTube and enter legends of the night fort in the search bar. Um, for me, it's the second thing that comes up if you do that search. It's an ice and fire comp panel that uh, the blood riders chase B word and Travis did with me a couple years ago when mm-hmm. ice and fire Com was canceled. We did a virtual panel and uh, we went through a lot of these legends. So you can go listen to just more specifically about some of these legends. It's a lot of fun. It's, it's a, a good one. I listened to it this morning as a reminder. Ooh. But you could totally see Germ just like as he was getting ready to write this chapter. He just kind of stretches the old fingers, you know, and he's like, <laughs> oh, okay. yeah. Oh, let me call Stephen. Let me get Stephen on the phone. Yeah. Let me, Am I going to move me, the story along in this chapter? Maybe not a whole consult bunch. Some... But I yeah, am going right. to tell some scary stories in the dark. How right? fun. I'm going to scare some black people. and white books, scary stories to tell in the dark. This was kind of like yeah. that, just like little vignettes of Did you guys read those with your kids? With my kids? No. Yeah. Oh, oh, we have. Okay. They're not yeah. as scary as you remember, Matt. They're not that bad. Most of them. Most of them are kind of silly. But I, I can't watch A Quiet Place, Scad. And I heard uh, that's yeah. not even a horror movie. Uh, the Quiet Place is an effective film. I wouldn't call it a horror movie. It's anyway, it's a monster. It's a monster film. It's scary. But, but it's also about it's about I a tight knit family movies. and how they. Yeah. yeah. No, my youngest won't get near scary either. Well, my oldest thinks she likes it. How old is your youngest? One. She just, <laughs> she just turned 14, actually. Okay, because I'm, I'm 37, and I still won't watch it. <laughs> I'm 37, well, I'm not old. I'm sorry I'm I made old. you reread this chapter, then. <laughs> I read it during the day with all the lights on. <laughs> it does get scary, though. He does love his horror. It's and it comes through really... I do think you're right about how he just really probably looked forward to writing this chapter specifically and, or I agree in chapters like this and telling these stories and he loves to build the lore but this is all so many of the rabbit holes that the fandom goes yeah. down stem from things like this right yeah. and you've got a list of old man stories it's like 40 or 50 deep of just crazy batshit crazy stuff and and sad things not just horror but yeah. Danny Flint stories Danny Flint. um yep. really and then you know that's a sad story. Let's that's be clear. a sad one, right? <laughs> that's a version of a sad one is where it's going. But it also then, what does it mean to the characters we know today, right? Like that yes. there's a real there's a real risk, I guess, is how I would read into that. Mm-hmm, for like mm-hmm, the the Sorellas and the Briands and the even Arias and those who maybe play with gender nonconformity or oh, dressing as men and. What is the risk that then they face when they do those things? Yeah, um, yeah. that's a good so, point. But, uh, you know, maybe it's, you know, not only does George write in POV, but we all have our own POVs when we read these stories. And <laughs> so we all come at them a little different, which is why these we keep talking about it. But that's one of the things that struck me. And maybe it's as a woman that struck yeah. me like these are real dangers for them. But anyway, he 
He certainly likes to freak us out. <laughs> no, that's he does. a good point. And I like that uh, this this chapter. And we know Germ doesn't write always write these sequentially, right? Like Bran mm-hmm. one, like he he jumps around a lot. Yep. But uh, you know this this does come on the heels of the Red Wedding chapter, and I don't know. My head canon is him being like, okay, I just wrote that friggin' Red Wedding chapter. I need to just like take a little bit of a break and have some fun. So I'm going to tell some scary stories for a minute because that just destroyed me, you know? So. And and yet the second half of this chapter, which we haven't really got to yet, ties directly back to that Red Wedding, mm-hmm. right? With the Radcliffe story. And yep. so, um, yeah, he, I, 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 also the second half of this chapter, we'll talk about it later, but it, it takes a very direct shift in tone. It's hilarious. It's, it's hilarious. It's comedy. <laughs> it's yeah. It's golden. It's George taking like, yes, I want to engage in the horror genre, and like, <laughs> nope, dumb and dumber Same. now. It's yep. it's amazing. Yeah. Anyway, it's a it's a whole it's a whole who's on first sketch in a bit. Um, can we talk a little bit about the dream uh, that he talks about at the very top of the chapter? The dream he'd had. Dream Summer had had, and Summer is in italics there, to kind of clarify, I think, that it wasn't Bran that had the dream, it was Summer. And I don't know. I don't know if Dog's dream, I don't know if anyone's, or Wolf's dream, I don't know if anyone's proven that either way. But I, I feel like this is more of the, it's it's less a dream and more of a connection between the wolves. Sure. That Summer has seen what Grey Wind saw, and so saw actual events. It's This is not a wishy-washy dream that's coming and going and that isn't clear this is a direct almost almost like the wolves i don't want to say it because i'll get yelled at but like almost like the wolves skin change each other and like a share a consciousness right that they can kind of drift in and out of each other and see what the other ones are seeing because it seems like brand very much knows exactly what happened i think there's a lot of evidence that that is true whether that they have a connective tissue when they are I don't have anything written down, so I'll probably butcher this, but I think there's maybe when John's having a ghost dream, yeah. there's some connection. And I think same with Summer, there's, mm-hmm. we get a lot more. And I think even when Arya's in Nymeria, I think there's a lot of evidence that says that that is true. And I think that dream is not a dream. I think it was absolutely him a shared, seeing a shared it. something. Yeah, when Bran was warging into Summer, he saw that or and I think what else is interesting and I don't know if I'm jumping ahead on some of your thoughts but what I didn't catch until this read through was it doesn't appear that Bran realizes Catelyn is gone like he mentions Rob and Grey Wind and then you know as I was getting my steps in because of course we have a step challenge if anybody wants to do that I was getting my steps in and I was listening to you know how many brand chapters are left in the whole series that are written? There's only three chapters after this. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. So it wasn't that hard to go through the other chapters. But he references Ned's loss. He references lot. He never references Catelyn Cat- hmm. being gone. And I, hmm. I thought that was kind of interesting. I don't know if it means anything, but um, it, I didn't notice it before. I just assumed a second I heard the Rob Greywind. I kind of threw the whole red wedding in there in my. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because. No, it's true because there's no dire wolf around to witness what happened to Catelyn, probably. Mm-hmm. Well, she's there. 
you know, where Grey Wind and Rob are, but, but Grey, Grey Wind, Wind would have been outside. Yeah, yeah. right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. But but Nymeria does pull Catelyn out of the river, and we don't we don't get any sense of that. Right. It's interesting too because Bran and Catelyn have have a special relationship, right? Bran is Catelyn's little boy. She's the one that she doesn't want to go to Winterfell or to King's Landing. I feel like Bran is kind of her special. It's child, her favorite, right? One hundred percent. A little, bit. yeah. I, I didn't want to say it that. One hundred percent. Yeah. Feels feels that way. Yeah. And so it's interesting that he's not he's not thinking or mentioning that. We, we know he has closure with Ned, right? He gets he gets the dream even before they leave Winterfell, I think, right. about yeah. about Ned's death. Um, but he doesn't have closure with Catelyn, and you're right, he's not thinking about it. He's mm-hmm. straightforward. At least he doesn't tell us. That yeah, yeah, is, right. right. We have I mean, we have his POV. If if it were important to George, I think I think he'd say it. He would say something. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that he's not. Yeah, I was just looking back at the there's kind of that ghost POV in A Dance with Dragons. It's John, but it's when he's in Ghost and um, when he's sensing the others. He's sensing the others, and he yeah. even says, "One, the White Wolf could no longer sense." It's theorized that that's Grey Wind still being alive, but for some reason he can't sense him anymore. Um, but yeah, it's almost like they have the uh, where you can like share your phone location with your family. You know. There's those Terrible apps where you can do that. <laughs> Never do it. Um, it's almost like they have that with each other. I don't know if they're like warging into each other, but they definitely have some sort of sense of where each other are. And um, I like your idea of a shared consciousness, almost like a group chat or something that they're always on together or something. <laughs> yeah. It feels that way. It feels like other than the fact that the wall is a separator, it feels like they kind of can. Right. It's, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. Calling it skin changing is probably not right, but but they some definitely know. Something. Like like yeah. um, they like he in that little thing. I'm looking at the passage right now. Four remained, and one the white wolf could no longer sense. So they like know when each other's dead. Like ghost knows that lady is dead here. One the yeah. white wolf could no longer sense. Theorized to be Grey Wind. That's where we get the theory that maybe Grey Wind isn't dead, or else he would have made that distinction too. So. Or which side of the wall? No, that is before. Maybe it's because Bran's on the other side of the wall. That is summer. also part of it. Yeah. It could yes. Be. Maybe that's what he can't. That's what those can't sense. Is and yeah. and the language is right. the language is even tricky if you read it. Yeah. It's like is it four five plus one equals plus, five? Four plus one or five? Or to, one yeah, of the four? Four total. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's tricky. It's tricky language. Right. Totally spooky purposeful. language. Totally spooky purposeful. language. Yeah. Or does that? Did you get them? No, it's on the wall now. Um, K2's hunting bugs while we talk. Yeah. Night four chapter, and now I'm going to have some sort of bug, Edgar, or what is it, Hitchcock going on in here. I am the hunter. <laughs> but um, that could actually support the theory. Some people have the theory that, that Greywin actually survived. Correct. Mm-hmm. And you could probably point to that and make that argument. Right. I mean, if that's... But I... I think you can do that with so much of the text. You can make the text say or interpret something any way you kind of want to read it, but that could... Totally. There's a a great um, theory crafted by Lady Gwyn. You can find it on her website. She's got her own Lady Gwyn Afar website called Grey Wind and Reynold Westerling Alive. Just Google it. It'll take you there. Mm -hmm. It's a great... It's a really good one. It's one of my favorites. Yep. 
Oh, of the of the like semi believable ones. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. She's super good. And of course, she's gonna yeah, she's not gonna put a theory out there that she can't back up with plenty of evidence. She doesn't she does. know what she's talking about. Yeah, cool. who is she? Thinks she who is she? Anyway. Listen, I will some, fight some for new... her. I will fight for her. <laughs> um, interesting. They that know. That, they know we love her. That that dream is not talked about anywhere else. It's kind of just almost mentioned in passing by Bran here. But uh, it's not even mentioned in passing. It's just his thoughts. Sure. Sure. Oh, sorry. Oh, you mean in the in the text of the book? Right. Not between characters. I read it and it's been a while since I've read some of these Storm of Swords chapters. So I was like, where is it that he's talking about this dream like it happened in the past? What chapter is it even in where he has the dream? It's not. It's not there. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just the first brand chapter after the Red Wedding. And George is just telling us that he knows. He felt something. You know, it's kind of interesting. I was struck by the fact that Jojen calls Bran your grace once in this chapter. He calls him prince like he always does. My prince, our prince, whatever. Mira calls him that too. I didn't too. notice that. He calls him your grace one time in this chapter. I did a little search of ice and fire. I searched for your grace in all of the Bran chapters prior to this one. It never comes up. He always calls him prince. And so uh, leading me to believe that Jojen may have seen perhaps that same thing. He knows Rob is dead and that Bran would now be kind of that king in the north, and he calls him your grace. And you said you were underprepared for this. Yeah, right? You That's said all you I got. That's a great pull. This is That's me tapping great, out done. right here. He's tapping out. Just, I'll I'm do just my mad impression back. for the rest of the episode. Uh, That's really interesting, though. But, well, he, I mean, he's a green seer, so mm-hmm. he probably so just maybe he saw it, too. Anyway, yeah. I'm going to have to go reread the chapter now, the whole thing, because I don't know where that is. That's a good point. It's, it's good towards the beginning of the chapter. And then he goes okay. back. He does call him Prince again. It's not like he calls him Your Grace exclusively for the rest of the time, but that's the first time that that title is thrown in for him. Like, it's so crazy. It's almost like a mistake. Sure. Oh, all right. Because, like, if he's king of the, if Rob's king of the North and dies, I guess that makes Bran that, but it's not like an official. Well, yeah, it's anyway. not a hurry. It's interesting. And it's, could you still call a prince from, your grace? Could you still call a prince or a princess your grace, or is that reserved for kings? I don't know. Because, don't know. but it's just interesting that it was never used before. Yes, ever before. Yeah. Yeah, it was always yeah. my prince or our prince. Uh, Bran skin changes Hodor Ugh. in this chapter. Ew. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But but before that, before he skin changes him, I don't. That's in the next section, so I don't want to go too deep into mm-hmm. it. But he just he. I want. I brought this up because in the last episode that we did with Julie Beth, if you haven't listened to that, go do it. It's um. a great episode about Arya, uh, and and her time in Bravos as the blind girl. But we talk a lot about skin changing in that episode and how advanced Arya is and the fact that she's skin changing in ways that maybe are not consistent with the way everyone else is doing it. But this is evidence here that Bran is not exactly slipping his skin, but can sense, has extra senses to feel what Hodor is feeling. He specifically mentions in the very beginning of this chapter that Hodor is tired, but not scared. Mm -hmm. You don't know that unless you're inside someone's feelings. And so it almost feels like he's doing like a low level skin change. Like a, a little, little pulse his, check. Yeah. Yeah. A little, a little check in. Yeah. A little, how you doing, bud? How you doing, bud? How you doing, bud? 
right? As he tortures him. Well, maybe maybe the check-ins aren't as bad, but it's still non-consensual, so you're right. It's not great. Well, he's young. I I, I don't it's say that malicious. in as much yeah. of a judge judgy way as just, you know, empathizing with Hodor's with Hodor. experience. Yeah. I, I don't think Bran really understands. Not at all. He understands Hodor's confused or upset, but he doesn't connect that well, it's because of that action, I don't think. And maybe I'm apologizing too much for Bran, but. No, no you're I, not. I agree with you. There's not any maliciousness there. He doesn't, yeah, he doesn't realize the severity of what he's doing. Well, at least in these early chapters, I think he doesn't. Sure, right? when we get later into Late, dance. Yeah, I mean, well, there's some, there's some, there's some pretty bad language in this chapter too. We'll get oh, to. Yeah. But testing the vomit at the back of Hodor's mouth and stuff. The boot comparison. We'll get there in the next section, but um, in, in this, it's more this pulse check you're talking about. It's it's almost more like he's just trying to be empathetic. What is he feeling? And instead of wondering what he's feeling, he gets answers. Oh, this is what he's feeling. He's tired, not scared. Right? Which Bran's and, a naturally curious boy. Right. So it just... Yeah. yeah. Okay, what else you got, guys, for this uh, this section here? Well, did he talk... We, this is where the Night's King story is, yeah? It is, yeah. Let's talk about it. You got I something? Wait. I mean, I just love all these stories, so I was deep diving into... All of the, I was deep diving into all of them because I think they're so cool. But I just think there's a lot to. I I think it plays a significance to where it's going, what that is. I think what's really cool is if you look at the Night's King and you look at Azor High and you look at the Last Hero and you look at Brand the Builder and blah blah blah, and everyone you can see umpteen different versions of theories throughout. The fandom, but what struck me was when I was thinking of the 13th Lord Commander. So one of the things that um, George tells us over and over and over is that these stories are kind of bullshit, right? That they're not, (laughs) what is the term that he uses? He uses a phrase in um, uh, World of Ice and Fire. A few of these tales can never be trusted. Right? Mm. And so even, and you can see that even now, like Red Wedding Stories, where they're like, Rob and the Northmen turned into a wolf. And even Tormund, when he's talking about himself, he's embellishing stories. Like, (laughs) none of these stories can be trusted, even in real time. So, when I look at the the 13th Lord Commander, what I find so fascinating is how no one questions that this person was the 13th Lord Commander. And I think, and again, I'm just going down a rabbit hole because I think it's fun, but I wonder if there's not a comma missing in there, and it's not the 13th. You know, the last hero had 12 companions and one survived. Mm. So the survivor mm. could be like the 13th, right? The 13th comma Lord Commander, he could have very well have been the first Lord right. Commander. And he's the Knight's King, as if he's the King of the Knight's Watch, or even the Knight's Watch named after, like, watching this crazy guy. So I just think there's a lot in there, and I think there it's in there's something that we are supposed to pay attention to that story, and we're supposed to question if all of these people are tied, and then what does that mean for John or Danny or whoever John, yeah. these heroes are, um, and how many are there? Um, are there multiple, or is it really one person? So 
can I ask a follow-up question? What yeah. What does it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Moving Fine. on. <laughs> what does it mean to you if he's the thirteenth or the first? What you you just mean like as the start of if he was the really the first as the start of the Night's Watch, like it's a symbolically corrupt organization or something, or what what does it mean to you oh, the difference between the thirteenth and the first? No, I don't. I don't actually think of it so much that way because there is nothing saying. I mean, there's nothing saying. The legend is that that this was a bad guy, right? But if you listen to Red Wedding stories, do we see Rob as bad of a person as so many people tell these stories about how he turned into a wolf and ripped Jingle Bell's throat out, et cetera, et cetera? So mm-hmm. what I'm saying is I'm just questioning it more mm-hmm. and saying if we're not supposed to believe the story, so why are we so quick to believe it? <laughs> Which is yeah. maybe it's he's he's the last hero version but maybe he wasn't he did if he was the first and then the wall was built maybe there's something there that we have yet to really understand as it relates to the future because if it's just looking back it's just fun but like maybe the message got lost in the details or the wrong person started to tell the story because whoever it was decided i guess it was brand the builder but somebody was like we're going to erase this guy from history. We don't know the last hero's name either. So why, what were they trying to hide? And is it actually, is it actually bad or is it actually good? The victors tell the story, right? Like it's the same thing with the red wedding. You hear the phrase, tell the story of the red wedding and it's not going to be complimentary towards Rob and Catelyn and everybody, right? They're the villains of the phrase version of the Red Wedding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but to answer your question, yeah. I don't know that it means anything, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just question it because that's what I do when I say, let's talk about a chapter. I'm like, I don't know what I believe any of this garbage. Well, yeah. So, you, you, you asked a question, uh, maybe it wasn't exactly this, but like, why are they telling it? What's the motivation for telling it? What's mm-hmm. the reason? Maybe the Night's Watch is seized onto this tale just to keep the legend of the others around so that they can always try to remember how important it is. That this is a powerful enough story about how terrible the others are. Listen, the Night's King ruled with this other queen, which apparently can be a thing, humans and others together, frolicking or something, um, that they can do that. Fornicating. Fornicating and bearing children, even, I think it says in the chapter. And and that, that that's a thing that can happen, and that we need to keep this tale alive so that the Night's Watch as an organization won't forget how terrible the others are. This was the worst time ever for the Night's Watch. Don't let the others get a foothold in your heart or in your castle or anywhere, right? It was so bad that the Starks teamed up with wildlings. That, to me, is the most yeah. bizarre part of the story. That the wildlings, whose mortal enemies are the Night's Watch, are like, we, we're going to help you guys. We, we need to help get this out and basically fix the Night's Watch. We're going to root this evil out of the Night's Watch, and then we'll go back to being enemies again. It's also kind of a weird thing because the wildlings at that point, the free folk, were only a thing for like 13 years how many years i don't know how many years it was but like they're a very new concept 
humans north of the wall, which was just built, are a very new concept. So right? maybe there so, wasn't that deep-rooted enmity yet. Maybe not. That the enemy maybe was not. still very much the others in the minds of people. Because that you're right, Skad. I'm glad you brought that up. Because the, the free folk had kind of become the enemies of the Night's Watch as the threat of the others had dissipated Receded. over the centuries, yeah. right? So it's like, well, we need right. someone to justify our being here, so it's going to be the free folk beyond the wall. Uh, but you're right. At that point, I think that enmity was less rooted. I mean, not, it wasn't nothing, but it was maybe 50 years worth of enmity, not 10,000. Yeah, yeah. But but still, it's inter- it's it's kind of interesting as a storytelling mechanism, too, because that tale grew in the telling just because time passed and the meaning of the wildlings changed. Now, Black Brothers hear that story and they're like, they teamed up with the wildlings? That's crazy! Right? But back then it wasn't as bad. It probably wasn't that big a deal. Yeah, you're right. Yep. But I, I, your point's well taken, Cav, that we need to make sure that we're taking some of these stories with a grain of salt. Your Tormund example's a really good one. Like, <clears throat> mm-hmm. he's living in real time and he's already lying to us. So. Talking about himself. He has the yeah. facts. <laughs> yeah. He's yeah. changing them. Still Maybe <laughs> he's being completely honest. What do we know? <laughs> Fucking bears. Uh, he could have a condition. Like, <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to judge for sure. I'm right. not shaming you. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite Kevin um, Smith film is Clerks too, and we all know what that has. So, I, I thought you were going to go with the Walrus one because that has. Oh, that's yeah, good stuff there too. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <sighs> how about um, how about all the Tolkien references? Huh? We also. He also flexed his Tolkien stuff. Mm-hmm. There are things, there are worse things than rats down in the dark beneath the night fort. That's like almost like a direct mm-hmm. quote, right? Yeah, you, you swap out the nouns. It's like a Mad Lib. Basically, yeah. <laughs> he does that in the second half of the chapter with the well. It's almost, the well. he almost mimics the well right out of, what is that, Mor- Moria? The Moria. Moria. Yeah, it's at the very ta- very tail end of this section. Actually, there's there's a gulp sound that's made when this when the stone tile gets thrown in. Mm-hmm. Um, don't disturb the water. Yeah. Um, Brand says something like, "Don't outside disturb the, the water." Of Moria. Yeah. And they say the same thing outside the gates of Moria when you know, at least in the movie, I don't remember it's in the text. It's probably in there. They were pretty good with that script, but. Um, Aragorn grabs the, the the hobbits are throwing stones in there and they make very much a gulp sound a very like empty empty non echoey sound it's just like it's the stone is being swallowed up by the water very much like what George is saying um and and Aragorn grabs and says don't disturb the water just like Bran is kind of saying here very interesting yeah the gate's called the black gate mm-hmm. right like, yeah. fool of a took and you know, Fool of a took. <laughs> but he was definitely inspired. And there's a story I didn't read. I love craft story about rats that I, I found. I know somebody mentioned that probably inspired some of this rat cook and the children, his children eating his kids. So gross. Well, it just yeah. the rats scurrying around the, um, before in general and that but, somewhere there's a giant one just lying in wait <laughs> uh, cookie uh, it's so nasty 
Yeah, I don't have a note it. about this, so I'm surprised I'm bringing it up, but I'm kind of surprised there, surprised there are still rats there. Like, what are the like rats kind of rely on humans to make, you know, like to make a environment they can thrive in. What are they eating? <laughs> Life finds right? a way. <laughs> Life finds a way, Jeff Goldblum says. <laughs> oh man, those movies are so bad. Some of those movies matter really bad. They are. And I love Jurassic Park. I love Dennis. I know. The first one's so good. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and the book is good. Mm-hmm. But the other movies, we've been watching them to try to get ready for the new one. Oh, man. The first Jurassic World was decent. I didn't mind that one as much. It wasn't great. Uh, I don't remember which was which other than the first one. There's not a lot to distinguish them. Um, this third one is not starting off great in terms of reviews. I'm, I'm just seeing like oh, headlines. Really? I haven't read into them. And... <laughs> we might have seen the same one. Somebody said this is the worst thing to happen to dinosaurs, and that includes their extinction. The extinction. <laughs> I saw that. I saw that. I was <laughs> like, that's how you write a headline right there. Uh-huh. That's a great. <laughs> I didn't even have to read it. Poor things. That's awful. Oh, and and those Stan. looking for a Song of Ice and Fire content, uh, <laughs> you're in the wrong the place. Con- <laughs> yeah. Podcast. So, well, there's to dinosaurs. What we I thought he confirmed that there were dinosaurs in Westeros. Dragons, dinosaurs. Eh, it's Just similar. Saying. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I mean, I'm still gonna go see it, but <laughs> of course you are. You should finger it. I'm sure it'll be on. You know, you can stream it soon. We need to just, we've talked about this before, Sked. We need to just like finger a really bad film. Yes. We've talked about doing like Sharknado or something. Yes. Because <laughs> it's so entertaining. It doesn't have to be good to be entertaining. I think people forget that sometimes. Uh-huh. But I feel like Mystery Science Theater 3000 kind of like cornered that. You know, like. I mean, I guess yes. we pick a film they haven't done. It's, I guess it's fine. And that's many films because they mostly do old stuff. But uh, yeah, I could do that. I, I, I mean, it's a little bit surprising, to be honest, Matt, to hear you saying that because you're a positive guy. You don't want to rip things apart. You're right. You're right. I mean, I, I like it's surprising that I'm fighting because I love ripping things apart. So just, it would just I'm, be a change of pace, like me starting out the episode tonight, just to do something a little different. By the way, let's never do Listen. that again, okay? <laughs> Baby Huey, you did so well. It felt felt wrong. Well, um, we can retake it if you want, but I thought it was fine. I thought you did a good job. We'll it sounded it, perfect. We'll keep it in there for, for now, for posterity. Listen. Sake, just to say that when, it happened once. When your starter taps out after two failures, you got to bring in the reliever quick. That's what happens. <laughs> I, I had two bad takes. I got this one. I got this one. I got, I got it. I can go I can go your six innings starter, buddy. If I wouldn't have had it, it would have come down to Cav. That was a baseball reference. <laughs> I was ready to do it. That, I was, that would actually was, be really cool to have. I was ready to come in off the bench. <laughs> How did it take us 22 episodes of these to figure out we should be letting the guest the do this? The guest do the intro. That would be awesome. You know what it was, Matt? It's my ego. It's my ego that didn't notice we that's what we should be doing the whole time. It's the fact that you and I fear change <laughs> significantly. Little, yellow, different. Yeah. Oh uh, I I don't know that I have too much more for this section. I don't think I do either. K2, you got any notes for the section you really want to hit? There's only one 
thing. I looked up the significance. I like to search symbolism, and I thought there was a lot in this chapter. And so I looked up the symbol of octagon-shaped rooms. Oh. Mm -hmm. You guys want to know what I found? Absolutely, because I just read it, and I was like, oh, it's an octagon room. Great. Yeah. So it said, throughout time, the octagon shape has been symbolic of regeneration, rebirth, and renewal. Mm. We, I know we see further religious architecture connections when we recognize many sacred buildings, churches, temples, etc. were designed with octagonal structures supporting a dome on top. If you go back to the text, it's an, it's an octagonal roof. kitchen with a domed roof. Oh, so God. I didn't even search domed roof. I only searched octagonal shaped room, octagon shaped rooms, and I got served up the dome roof. But then I want you guys to hear what I found. There's when more? I, I did, there is more. When I searched octagon-shaped room, domed roof, <laughs> right? You know how sometimes when you search, like, you get served up, like, a huge response, like, big fat words? There's two words. You know what it says? Jesus' resurrection. What? Jesus, uh, do you want me to share my screen and show you? Oh, I you're fine. You I knew you wouldn't believe me. I'm not disbelieving. You just blew Matt's mind. I my know. My hair is up in the air for me going. But my it, right, so octagon so shaped with domes is. Google it yourself and see if it comes up. That's what it fed me, and it's actually done it multiple times. But what's interesting is how many people, with Stannis and everyone on their way to the Night Fort, um, and John. Spoiler, everyone. John being dead. Um, mm. I know. I'm sorry. Um, there is this where he's resurrected in that kitchen with that weird ass what wherewood going it's through totally that has no face. Yeah. It has no face. It looks a little different or whatever. But why? Or is it just you know? It doesn't mean anything. But I just thought it was really interesting because I didn't search. For hours. I Googled it once and that's what it gave me. It was, was very obvious that they're yeah, interesting. It's fun it's funny because I don't I don't remember like, you know, I grew up religious, but I don't remember the resurrection details. It was more like he was resurrected. I know Mary Magdalene finds him in the she rolls the stone over and finds him in the thing and he's alive and everything, right? But No, that's totally that wrong. that cave certainly what? Did I miss it? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Did I screw it up? Was it that bad? Mary Magdalene found him. He'd broken the stone. It's, the stone was moved already. Oh, okay. It was, oh, right, when she got there, right. But yeah. still, that cave was not likely octagonal with a dome-shaped roof. So I don't know what they're talking about. I'm interested in reading up on this. I'm not saying you're wrong, K2, about what the research showed you. I'm just interested. Yeah. Well, the, the research was uh, a Google search. <laughs> Sometimes we misuse. Google is always right. Sometimes so, we misuse the word research, don't we? We throw yeah. it around too casually. <laughs> that, I think that is, a, that is a stretch. I guess my point was just, I thought that really fascinating because yeah. I do, I was, I was looking to see why he specifically described that room that way. Uh -huh. yeah. And it felt very deliberate and, yeah, I do agreed. think that the Night Fort does play a role in the next book, probably. It's currently and, being refurbished, as you said. Right, right. Off, you know, refurbished off for Celine and Stannis. Stan right. Stannis is gone, but mm -hmm. Celine wants to go there, I think. And 
would they, in a flight of terror, seeing John, their kind of liaison with this whole thing, stabbed multiple times, would they grab him and go the several miles, I mean, it's several miles to the night fort from where the they next are best place. to get there. But nope. they take they take Melisander and they go to this place and they have a, you know, Jesus-like kind of resurrection. I have no idea. That'd, that'd be interesting. I like that. It, 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 but there's, something. yeah, and in um, well, because it removes him from the rest of the politics of the Night's Watch and lets him be what he wants to be in that, right? It's interesting. And then you've yeah. got this Night's King, in, which is what oh. Stannis is trying to be, right? Yeah, and, well, I don't think he's trying to be. Well, you know what I mean. Like he's trying to be king over them, yes. and 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 rule them, and they're like, we don't really play your game. And he's, it, yeah. she's very much like a corpse, corpse bride, if you ask me. <laughs> but, uh, no, but anyway, uh, well, Salise. I, <laughs> I was making a joke, but it's actually probably the most more Melisandre that I was, I was, yeah, Salise is weird. But um, anyway, and there's a lot of theories, none of them are mine, that actually I was surprised how many people seem to think that Stannis is got some crazy role maybe he'll be some undead king yeah I'm, I'm having a hard time picturing it because i didn't ever go there but there's a lot of people that go there and i think that's i lo- i guess what you'll find from this next you know hour or so with me is i love the rabbit holes i love going down them it doesn't mean i have to agree with any of them I, that's but you like spending so time much. there yeah you're in I the do. right place i do uh yeah we won't, fingers we... loves their rabbit holes you won't find any treasure at the bottom of any of those rabbit holes on nope. this podcast. No. But we'll go down them with you and be like, huh, another Sweet. dead end. Interesting. That meant nothing. The Jurassic Park movies are awful. Okay. <laughs> yeah. huh, I found this sacred scroll that says Jurassic World is terrible. Oh. Well, it's not here very we helpful. Are. <laughs> here we are. Let's turn around. All right. Shall we get to know K2 a little bit? I want to get to know her better. If we must. Yeah. K2, who are you? What do you do? What drives you? This is a hard question for people. I feel like everyone hates this question. We should rewrite it. Well, that's why you should keep us on our toes. It's probably why people don't don't volunteer and you have to tell them to come on your show. Because they want to answer this question. Our list is miles long. (laughs) Uh, what I I knew it's a waiting list I know I had a lot of I had a lot of death threats when people found out I I was on this one because they wanted my spot Um, I know you asked this question to people so I gave it some thought and I really think what motivates me like what gets me to do something is joy right if I enjoy it then I'm going to do it. And if that's my job or being a parent or being a friend or sitting here late at night, drinking coffee, talking about weird ass night court stories. Like if, if it brings me joy, that's how I prioritize what I'm going to do. So that's ultimately the answer to that question. So we bring her joy, Skad. Look at that. Oh my god. En- enough to be here at enough least. Enough to be here at least. Yeah. Enough joy yep. 
to override the potential other joyful things that she could be doing at 11 o'clock on a Friday night. Well, I'm an old married woman, so it's not much. (laughs) My husband's already asleep, so I'm... You know. (laughs) Drink Uh, coffee. Spend time with two other men. It's fine. He's cool with that. Had to go there, Matt. Uh, Yes. You've been pretty humble about, about... a lot of this, but you're pretty engaged in this fandom. Are you engaged in other fandoms too? Or is this like, is this kind of, these are your people and this is where you engage? So, I mean, that's a good question. So, um, my OG fandoms, uh, were all music, right? Mm. Grateful Dead, Widespread Panic. So I've probably been fish. Fish, you know, no. didn't do it for me. My, you know, it, it's all the same people, right. but you kind of pick your battles, if you will. And, um, I, you know, I, I'm never going to fish's turn a, battle is lame. Uh, it's money, right? You, you don't, shows don't come to me. I have to go you to go them. to them. Yeah. And so it's, you have to like, you pick and choose. But yeah, so I've probably seen 250 widespread shows. Wow. So, and, and God, I don't know, the dead This was, is a band I've never heard of. Well, I'm not shocked. Okay. It's a, it's the bit, it's the kind of band like the Grateful Dead that you don't, you're not listening to them on the radio as much. Yeah. It's about seeing them live. The whole idea. Like Dave. It's it, in a way, yeah. Um, it, it's adjacent, right? Dave got popular, yeah. so but he mm. is in that genre, and I think right. there's many ways he would have rather kind of stayed a little, other than the money, probably stayed less popular. But so my OG fandoms were that, and I'm still awesome. very active in that, and those are still many of my best friends and all of that. So what I found interesting when I tripped over this fandom was just how similar it really was. Hmm. Um, the passion that people have and the the ability to sit around and talk about when was the last time they played watched all along the watchtower, blah blah blah. And oh yeah, that was when Mikey was here and that was in and you can name the show and the set list from hmm. two thousand and one. Wow. And it's like what we're doing here, talking about these details that other people probably think are stupid and insane but so i i find them very similar in a very strange way and but this is my first if you will fandom like i'm a geek when it comes to like liking stuff but i didn't like participating no yeah i didn't engage with star wars fans i watched the star wars stuff Mm -hmm. and i that's what i did i didn't talk to other people so this is kind of new for me when it comes to like this but not new for me at all in my life so that's the interesting crossover there well let me say just to you k2 that uh when you wade into something you wade in you don't connect. wade yeah there's, there's no wading going on <laughs> because, well i'm very short I mean, so i go straight you're right it doesn't it take long straight. you're right yeah no that's fair that's a fair point it's not something i considered in my comparison but i'm just i'm just saying like you went you went to ice and fire con this year and your cosplays were fucking fire really and you were everywhere and you were engaging with people you didn't know i don't think and people you didn't know for sure no you knew a lot of us but you know you were 
you were engaged. You were out there, mm-hmm. and you put mm-hmm. you put your whole self into it. And I loved, I loved seeing you there. It was great. It was super fun. I definitely had a great time. And again, it was like, all right, I guess I'll. It's like going to a show. Pack yeah. up my costumes. It's not really cosplay, Matt. Just for you, I costume right. So like, well, yeah, sure. it's a little different, right? Mm, it's, it's, they're a little different, but I'll, I'll send you a picture. I yeah, I I haven't seen any of the pictures of your costuming. And that would be. She had an egret kissing booth that was amazing. Oh, an egret on spring break. Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was a spring. It was a dream of spring break party, so yeah. it was on brand for the right. evening. No, that's great. There aren't many I'm pictures. just thinking of well, I went egret to... and and Lord's kit. I just need to stop now. Well, that's what I said. <laughs> that was the. That's what <laughs> that's she was going booth. for, Matt. Okay. Right. That's oh, yeah. so you the kissing that's Lord's the kissing booth. That was me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. All right. I Sorry, didn't see Matt. any evidence of earmuffs, that actually Matt. happening, but oh, <laughs> you guys know that I'm the filthiest one of us all. It's <laughs> I went to Spring Break Davos, and it was less impressive. Oh, it was but, good, but it was still fun. And you shaved your head. Threw I did. For a loop. Mm-hmm. It was weird. It went from <laughs> Bobby B to bald. I was like, "What's happening?" That happened. Uh, <laughs> so we already we already referenced it a little bit. Uh, the last two years, you've helped uh, out with it, with Song of Madness by providing a cake, a magical cake. Talk about diving in, yeah. How did you How did you get into this hobby? Just not Song of Ice and Fire cakes for Song of Madness, but just mm-hmm. baking and cakes in general. Like, how did you get this, and how did you get so good at it? I mean, I'm ast- I'm blown away by the things you've done for these Song of Madness cakes. Thank you. Um... Just being a mom, and I thought I really wanted to try it. I kept seeing, whether it was like in person or online or something, cool cakes. And so I was like, I'm going to figure that out. And I have um, an artistic side to me. Couldn't really call myself an artist in that sense, but like I can paint and do some things. It's very amateurish, but like I can, you know. You're wired that way. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's an outlet. And as a mom, it was like, I wanted to just try to make cool cakes for my kids. And then um, they started to come out good. And people, and so the kids in my neighborhood. Oh, no, I'm good at this. I, well, again, better than every other mom. Like, if you're comparing yeah, yeah. me to some sort of reality show. Well, that's but really like, what we, matters. All the other moms in the neighborhood, I was kicking their ass, right? That's cakes. what matters. So their kids, like <laughs> six-year-olds, walking over to my house, knocking on the door, like, K2, we need to talk about my cake. My birthday's in three months. And they would, like, plan it all out. No and way. I made a Darth Vader cakes and Mickey Mouse cakes. And, and so for many years, because all the kids were, like, the same age, I was making six, ten cakes easily a, a year, year for all these kids no and, way. and and that so that's you... it was trial and error oh. money so often you know you're usually giving people gifts for their birthday so often oh, cake make would the be the gift. instead and that. um people have paid a kingly so gift now, yeah. now now do <laughs> six-year-olds actually call you k2 is that something everybody yes. calls you that that's actually my n- name i that say that in quotes awesome. because it's not my birth certificate name, but sure. ask the, C- the CEO of my company, uh, my husband, the mayor of the town, and they will all call me K2. So that's actually. Wow. And people, and like cool. uh, you guys, a lot of Twitter calls me Cav or Kavanaugh. 
And that's actually, that stemmed from other things, but that is what, what, like, my younger nickname, like, in high school. So that is still Hmm. something that resonates to me, but very few people call me by my first name. Wow. Um, Which we will not divulge here. Yeah. It's nobody's business. No. I don't know why, but actually everyone in my generation has the same name. So it actually does make sense that I have a good nickname or a nickname. A nickname. It is a good nickname because it's like a mountain. It is actually a mountain. Oh, I know what you're doing here, Scad. Whoa. Whoa. Wow. How about this Look for me. a segue? That's a cool transition. Segue. Because that K2 is, is a mountain and you are a mountain states transplant. Uh, I don't want to give away your exact location, but you went to school way back east. Mm-hmm. You now live in the mountain states mm-hmm. uh, and, and not on K2, which is not even on our continent. <laughs> so it, was not, it wasn't a great segue, Matt, to be honest, really. Yeah, but I tried. I'm down. I'm down. Uh, how did you end up with us in the mountain states? Um, so I graduated. I went to Virginia Tech um, and graduated, lived in D.C. for a year, and just it just wasn't resonating with me as a place. I grew up, my father was in the Navy, so we grew up moving every few years. I went to mm. 11 schools in my life. And mm. so um, I didn't have a physical home, so I knew I got to pick my home. Like, I could just go live wherever I wanted. and <laughs> Live where you're happy. I, yeah. yeah, and so I thought... I wanted to move to California. San Francisco was kind of my my jam when I was a little kid. We had lived um, on a Navy base out there that's now closed. And I was like, I'm going to San Francisco. That's my thing. And anyway, apparently, as it turns out, my mother did not want me to do that. And unbeknownst to me, and Matt, you'll appreciate this, she had my aunt and my grandma and her saying novenas and lighting candles, very Catholic and she was manifesting me moving to Colorado. <laughs> I'm and, out. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye. Uh, I was like, all right. And then <laughs> I got a job. I know. I thought it was hilarious. And then I got a job <laughs> offer to move to Colorado. And I was like, no all right. Like, yeah. And my, my mom told me that story after. And I thought it was absolutely hilarious. I'm like, well, it worked. It worked. Yeah. It worked, so, guys. In- intervention. Scad proof. Now, Scad, it doesn't have to have anything to do with religion. It's that she manifested it in the universe. Doesn't necessarily mean some uh, almighty power did it. So you both can be right about I'll it. I'll bet with Jesus. <laughs> Jesus knew what he's doing. I'm willing, I'm willing to just let this one go as, <laughs> as what it is. That's a cool story, though. I, love I don't that. know what to tell you. It's That's a very a cool story. story. <laughs> yeah, it's a very cool story. Uh, uh, just real quick while we're talking about Aspen, I just need to say go Avs, right, Kev? Yes, go Avs. Go go and I assumed we did not, yes, get, we carefully scheduled this to not be. Oh, I assumed the sweep, so. Yes. You knew it was knew. happening? I yeah. knew it was, yeah, I knew. Because I, I was like, really? I, fig- I figured the all-powerful Avs would shut down the best player in hockey over four games, and we'd be. And the they did, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Scad drawing on his wealth of hockey knowledge. Yeah. The depths of understanding that that man Listen, has for the game. He Googled it. Listen, hockey is just a newer version of soccer on skates. And ice. <laughs> it's the same game. It's, so I know. Put I the know puck in the net. Yeah. I know what the I'm object in the net here. Yeah. There's a goalie in both sports. It's about mm-hmm. spacing and time. I, it's, the same, it's the same game. Mm-hmm. It's the same game. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Hey, K2. Mm-hmm. What's something in your life that you're proud of? The avalanche. <laughs> 
Kalasar, this is going to be a thing. I'm not done talking about it. Yeah, it's going to be a thing. The Colorado Avalanche, number one. Um, Number two, you know, I thought about this question, and I don't know that I ever really landed on a great answer. I feel like if I'm thinking about truly, like, moments I was really proud, I mean, I have had, you know, successful career moments and there was times you know i'm i'm older than you guys like but i was the first woman to do a lot of things in my either in my little world right nothing that would matter to people like in other places but like in things i was doing in organizations i was in or in jobs i was in leadership roles absolutely matters so there's there was cool things like that especially when i remember being um you know, it's always pretty successful. I'm in sales and it became, it was natural for me. I, I enjoy, and I sell something that people enjoy. So it was easy for me to connect with people, listen to them and say, this, this can solve your problem or this can bring you joy or whatever it is. Right. Mm-hmm. And I remember being out on the road with some people. And in this particular sales trip, it was all women. And um, my boss had resigned and they were like, you got to go for it. And I was like, I don't want to go for it. Like an administrative job versus like being in sales. I didn't really care for it. And I was so struck by how all three of them said, you have to do it for us. Mm-hmm. Like they were feeling this glass ceiling. They were older mm-hmm. than I was at the time. And well, I'm sure they still are older than me, but um, <laughs> I hope. Yeah. I know they're all Ooh. still doing well, but like they, it was, it struck me and I was, and I, you know, I, I had always, I don't want to say taken my success for granted, but just not appreciating where there might be struggles for other people. And, and it was, it was, it was very interesting. And, and so there was moments like that. And then I did end up becoming the first female in a certain role and things like that. And so I think there's some stuff like that, that when I look back, I feel really good. That's about. so cool. And, Obviously, cool. you know, family is an easy answer too. I don't want to make it sound like that's not something I'm proud of, but I just tried to give a real answer there. And, uh, I love it. I love it. Breaking ceilings for people, right? And like yeah, ma- making making something normal that wasn't before. I was going to say, yeah, like you said you took it for granted, but there's going to be a lot of people that take what you did for granted too, kind of, because the way for them is now easier. Easier. Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. well, and yeah. since the, since I left that job, it's all been men. Really? That have, oh, interesting. A man replaced you, me. You really turned a, it. A Matt man replaced me. Matt and I had a narrative about it being easier than you just, you just wrecked it. Well, you know, uh, what else is really, it. it's funny because I didn't get the whole, I didn't get the glass ceiling thing. I didn't yeah. feel, I didn't feel it. Let me put it that way. So it's not that I doubted other people. I just didn't feel like I was running into it. And then the job I'm in now, um, there's a senior leadership team that's much larger. And when I started, so I'm in this job 10 years. But when I started in this job, there's like a room of like 40 some odd people that run, you know, the senior leadership group. And I had in the group and it's, just, there's definitely a smaller group of women at the time. And then it dawned on me, I was the only mother. And this yeah. is only 10 years ago. Wow. In a, you know, and so it is real. and yeah, It's for sure real. It, it's much different now. And it's not like something had to change. It wasn't something broken, per se. It was just that there's a lot of mothers everywhere now, and it's fantastic. But 
um, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's interesting to kind of be on the other side of my career where you're like, maybe I should take a smaller job, (laughs) (laughs) relax and start to practice for retirement. You know, you're not trying to climb a ladder. You're actually hanging on to the rung you're on for dear life. And you just have a different vantage point of it. I'm on the let's form a commune. uh, Let's. And we can all work less and just kind of live together and hang out. I will have the bakery in the commune. Yeah, exactly. We all fulfill a role. Sorry, I'm um, spouting socialism for those that don't know. My bad. (laughs) Yep. And that's. You know, that's, that's fine. fine. Just lots of viewers. Sometimes, sometimes we fine. do that. You think we care about viewers? <laughs> Obviously not. You had me and you invited me. So. Uh, no, it's not that. <laughs> we do this for ourselves. <laughs> Matt and I had that conversation a long time ago. And we still have uh, it. We, we still have to we still, we still reaffirm. Like, this has <laughs> to be for us. Yep. Yeah. K2, why do you choose this chapter? What do you love oh. about this chapter? Well, this chapter is a blast, and it's the horror genre. I, it's this really interesting connective thread where Bran goes to one side of the wall and crosses with Sam to the other. And mm-hmm. I do think, like, I, I'm not a literary analyst. Like, I read books, and I'm like, oh, that's good, or that's bad. And that's pretty much my analytic sentiment on entertainment. <laughs> the octagonal dome situation from earlier says contrary, but yeah, I well, that. it's a computer like and you Google. Yeah, yeah. I like that's the rabbit holes, and that's to answer the question that's probably coming. Why? Why? What's in the, the fandom? It's the rabbit holes I love, and I'm about to tell you a story. Um, we're about to go down a rabbit hole. Will you go down this love rabbit it. hole with me, Matt? I'm ready. Yes. Okay. Um. So I did. I actually okay. Let me see. Hold on. Let me get my shit together here. I did do, um, uh, I found a rabbit hole that is connected to this chapter. It is not all about this chapter. So we're about to veer off. Can we veer off? Yeah. We're tethered to you. We go where you go. You go and then follow the voice. We issued you a question. What you answer, we have no control over. Just pretend you're interested. So, Basically, I, so you're familiar with Gray Area, MJ from Gray Area, and she has her City mm-hmm. and Nights podcast, and she started inviting people on many moons ago. This was years, years ago. And I did a chapter with her very early on. I did Catelyn 3 and Game of Thrones. Cool. And mm. I was completely panicked. Like, when she said you could, I, I was like, holy shit, I have to contribute. So I. I like got a little, um, I got a little analytic on that one. Like this, we've had what a week to prepare for this. So, um, come on, a little more. All right, 10 days. But, um, so I, I started to dig into this cat three chapter and, um, it's the cat spot chapter. So just to give you guys a recap, cats take talking to Maester Lewin, then Rob comes in, then there's a fire in the library, brain gets attacked, cat steps in. Summer We're jumps experts. in. We, we know it. Yeah, well, we know. maybe not everyone. I'm <laughs> okay, sure that the three people listening might want to know what's happening. <laughs> um, fair. <laughs> and Summer rips this guy's throat out, right? Cat then is attended to. Summer licks her blood. I don't know if that has any relevance. And then she falls asleep for four days. 
She wakes up and goes, hey, everybody, feeling fabulous. By the way, Brandon fall, Jamie threw him. And it's a fairly short chapter. So I wanted to figure out what happened in that four day slumber that made her conclude so with, with confidence that Jamie had done this. So I think, okay, Brand's in a coma. She was asleep. They have a connection. Maybe she just kind of felt it. Maybe it was something more deliberate, like the three-eyed crow putting it in there to get things moving and putting the chest pieces where he needed them. So I fall asleep thinking about this. Now, remember, this was... For four days, I assume. I fell asleep for four days. But this was also years ago. This was like three or four years ago. So I wasn't as active on Twitter, right? I poked my head in and, you know, played a song of madness and stuff. But I wasn't like... (laughs) Like the last few years where it was all I feel like that was my social life. Um, and I woke up the next morning and the first thing I did was open Twitter. Point being, that was actually rare at the time. Not rare today, but rare back then. And the first tweet that I get served up is from Joe Magician. And it is a quote he just threw out on a tweet for some reason. And it's Marwin talking to Sam. And it says, the sorcerers of the freehold could see across mountain seas and deserts with one of these glass candles. They could enter a man's dreams and give him visions and speak to one another half mm-hmm. a world apart. So I'm like, okay, what's up? Glass candles. We know they're burning at some point. They're definitely not mentioned. There's no indication when they start burning, but that's actually neither here nor there. I still said, okay, I want to see their glass candles are associated with maesters. So what's Lewin up to in this chapter? So back mm. to the chapter. The very beginning of the chapter, when he comes in and he's pestering Kat, and, she, and he's like, we need a horse whisperer. And she's like, get out of my face. And she is really fed up and says, in her head, she's, um, and she says, like a little gray rat, she thought he wouldn't let go. And the gray rats, you guys have heard of the Grand Maester conspiracies, and gray rats are often the term used for that reference point, right? Yep. So I think, okay, Matt, much how you earlier were talking about going to a search of ice and fire to find something. I think that's what you said. You had gone yep. to a search of mm-hmm. ice and fire to find something in Brand chapters. Oh, yeah, your grace. I did the same. And I was like, okay, maybe I can comb through all the gray rat references. So how many, and see if I could find some <laughs> sort of mace or thing. So how many gray rat references do you think I had to go through? Yes. Um, gray rats. Yeah. It's did you just look it up? No, half a dozen. Is it four? It's four. Wow, scatty. I know. So it is... Jesus is with you. uh All right. So it's mentioned... Or I read the books. Honestly. Um, (laughs) I know it's rare. I'm almost done. I'm almost done, but I do do have a question. I don't have a theory. I have a question once I go through these four examples. Can I read these four passages yeah, please absolutely so the I'm first interested. one i just the first one i just read is the cat three lewin one the second one is in a little chapter at the night fort um and i'm going to read you that one and remember as you all just brought up this is following the red wedding right so once the dire wolf bolted through a dark door and returned a moment later with a gray rat between his teeth the rat cook brand thought but it was the wrong color and only as big as a cat. 
And <laughs> so what I thought was fascinating, why are you chuckling at that? Because cat. 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 Mm-hmm. So when you read it out of context, the way I read it, I was like, this is Lady Stoneheart. I mean, the gray rat is the rat cook. The rat wolf pulling cat out of the river. Yeah, and, and you know, the rat cook symbolizes, but it's like great. I mean, he's saying that he thinks the gray rat is the rat cook, and then it's only as big as a cat. So to me, George was like shoving it down my throat. The first time, if you read the chapter, it doesn't read that way. But yeah. anyway, so that really shook me. Because I wasn't looking for Catelyn connections. I was looking for Maester connections. So the third one doesn't really connect to these first two. It connects to the fourth one. The third one's just a few chapters later. It's Danny when they take Marine. And it's just a reference to if, wait, um, it says the third reference. I'm sorry, I got lost my place because I was talking to you guys. Night covered the streets like a black blanket, hiding the corpses and the gray rats that came up from the sewers to feast on them. So it's just calling out that the gray rats are benefiting and living off the leaves of war, right? Mm-hmm. So war benefits the gray rats. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the fourth instance is the one that everyone's pretty familiar with, which is Lady Dustin at Faria and Ramsey's wedding. She's talking to Theek, and um, this is the setting, and Roos walks in with three... Maesters, three northern maesters, and then this is when she, this is when the quote starts. Lady Dustin's mouth twisted in distaste. If I were queen, the first thing I would do would be to kill all those gray rats. They scurry everywhere, living off the leavings of the lords, chittering to one another, whispering in the ears of their masters. But who are the masters and who are the servants truly? The gray rats read and write our letters, and who can say for a certainty that they are not twisting the words for their own ends? That passage is what a lot of people build their maester conspiracy theories off of, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. She goes on to say this. Um, that was how it was with Lord Rickard Stark. Maester Wallace was his gray rat's name. Before he forged his shade, Maester Wallace had been known as Wallace Flowers. Wallace Flowers had a high tower girl for a mother and an archmaester of the Citadel father. Once he forged his chain, once he forged his chain, his secret father and his friends wasted no time dispatching him to fill Lord Rickard's ears with poisoned words as sweet as honey. The Tully marriage was his notion, never doubted he. He's interrupted by Roos. Roos cuts him off, saying, Sanus is on the move. So it comes right back to Catelyn with the Tully marriage. Mm-hmm. And what I couldn't figure out because all I do is read these books for fun, was what any of this was supposed to mean. And because I was, like I said, I was looking for Maester stuff. But I got incredibly curious as to what Lady Dustin was about to say. This makes me madder at Roos than the Red Wedding, I think, that he cut her off here. Um, read, read the last bit, what she was saying before she was interrupted. So we, I'll read it again. So just the end. Once he forged his chain, his secret father and his friends wasted no time dispatching him to Winterfell to fill Lord Rickard's ears with poisoned words as sweet as honey. The Tully marriage was his notion, never doubted. He. And he's cut off. So she's about to spill the beans on something. And it's either, well, in her mind, it'll probably be political, but. Yeah. What she's saying, again, whether it's true, 
is that Wallace Flowers, I hope I'm saying his name right, um, that their, their, their major goal was to get him to Winterfell. They talk about and, how and, it was done with haste. Yep. It was the first thing they wanted to do. They wasted no time getting him there to fill his, like, where, my question really is, where is he? Where did Wallace Flowers go? I can't find that he's dead. Doesn't mean he's not dead. I just couldn't find any proof that he's dead. I, I, yeah, no, I, I guess I always assumed he died, but you're right. We don't know. We right. don't know. Um, and if he's got a high tower mother, now one thing that I looked at too is there's a lot of bastards in the story, but very few are of highborn women. They're usually yes. of highborn men. men. And the, yeah. the example of a highborn woman having a bastard is like Lolly Stokeworth, and she keeps the child. So everything would indicate from this story that he grew up in the high tower, um, hmm. connected. So he's connected, yes. you know, and he might not have the name, but he has everything else going for him. I don't know. So it just struck me. And then, I, you know, I started off the search with like this glass candles, but there's a lot of people who theorize that Leighton Hightower has one. Um, he for hasn't sure. left in 10 years. Yep. Right. I, believe it for sure. I think I made a note that like, are they the Illuminati? Um, <laughs> and that it, regardless of what the agenda might be, it, it's apparent there is an agenda. That is kind of what one thing that is indisputed. Like, it wasn't like, oh, they thought go go to Winterfell and wouldn't that be fun? It was like he was deliberately sent there. So this is I, I didn't know what to make of any of this. And I don't have anybody to talk to about it. So you have to talk to me about it at least for like two minutes. <laughs> Well, so <laughs> the so, timer on. <laughs> so, how would you say this connects to this chapter exactly? Like the gray rat comparison in this chapter, and how it relates to cat? Because it's, I think it only connects to the chapter because it's one of the instances, really. And yeah, okay. but as far as like how does it really connect? Big picture, probably doesn't really. Um, it was more just. Um, it just doesn't seem like it's an accident. But I could be wrong, and it could just be a total accident. But three of the times he uses the term, it's about Catelyn. As we as the years go on, uh, I get less confident in this notion. But my notion is that George doesn't make accidents; that he's care carefully cultivating everything, and that what he's doing is intentional. Yeah, especially but... especially this late in the series where these references are being made, right? But that that's my opinion. Right. Yeah, there's something going on, for sure. I love the gray rats catch. Nice job. Yeah, me too. Well, that was an accident, but you know. Yes, but it counts. <laughs> Accidents yeah. count. Accidents do count. But if you ever get bored, please go tell me what all of this means and get back to me if you don't mind, or somebody listening. I'm I can't... sure there are members of our Calisar that have all sorts of thoughts. Yeah, Let's because there's. I know, please, yeah, let us know, because it's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of hints in the text, too, I think that Catelyn is far more magical in nature, subtly, like, she doesn't, she's not aware of it, mm -hmm. um, and I do think that, um, and, you know, she becomes a magical creature in Lady Stoneheart, I mean, that's not, 
normal to be walking mm-hmm. around after you're maybe, dead. Yeah, maybe like less less aware of it, like a Leia Force user kind of thing. My notes actually say that she's like Force sensitive, not a Jedi, yeah. but she, you know, she introduces us to the God's Wood. She never liked it here. She's like particularly early. Game of Thrones cat is very force kind of sensitive. And anyway, that's kind of a different topic, but I just think there's something that maybe is in Catelyn that we, we look at Catelyn as a lady, as a mother, and maybe there's another angle we should be taking with her. And I don't know what it is, but I'm dying to find out. So if you guys could invite George to join us next time, that'd be awesome. Oh yeah. If we can, if we can get him on the line, we'll invite you. We've got his ear for sure. I think he listens. I'm sure he's listening right now, laughing at me going, it's nothing. But that's why I picked this chapter, because I studied this, and The Prince of Winterfell is another really good one, and that was actually mm-hmm. like my second mm-hmm. choice, um, because I got to know the chapters. So, that's ultimately, the long Prince story. No, we did Ghost in Winterfell. Ghost in Winterfell. With Marcus, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, well, let's, let's move on to summary part two. Yes. Mira cooks up a nice fish for them for supper. But all Bran can think of is the story of the rat cook, a man that had baked the son of an Andal king into a pie and then served it to him. The gods turned him into a giant white rat to ruin the night for tents. Yeah, but his punishment wasn't for killing the son or even for feeding it to the father, but for breaking guest right. Slaying a guest beneath one's roof is not is not a crime the gods can abide. Anyway, with that tale fresh in his mind, Bran tries to grab some sleep. And that would be a great idea if not for that shuffling noise. Bran was drifting or had maybe even fallen asleep when he heard a faint, far-off scuttling sound. Leaves. They had to be leaves, right? But it wasn't leaves. And as the sound moved closer, he knew it wasn't. He heard wind and leaves, it's true. But also footsteps. They became footsteps. And we're getting closer, and all the stories of the Night Court came flooding back into Bran's mind. Maybe it was Mad Axe prowling the Night Court with his drooping bloody axe, or the thing that came in the night and drove one crazy. Footsteps. Getting ever heavier, we're coming up the well now. Bran was certain, up the well. And he thinks of slipping his skin. But Summer isn't about, and he can't leave his friends to face this thing alone, surely. So Bran crawls to Mira and wakes her. She's on her feet and armed with spear and net in a single moment. She crept toward the well, weapons at the ready. Bran couldn't let Mira fight the monster alone, so he slipped inside Hodor. Or rather, shoves and pushes and drags himself inside a very resistant Hodor. And like that, he is a hulking behemoth of a man with a steel sword. He heard wailing from the well, and a monstrous creature flopped out of it. The fear pushed Bran out of Hodor, and he watched as Mira's net captured him, and her spear knocked him down. The creature yelped in pain. No, no, don't, please, don't, the creature wailed. No creature at all, but Sam Tarly. (laughs) They set him free, seeing that he is a harmless black brother shepherding a woman with a newborn babe. Are you the one... Gilly asks. 
Yeah, Cold Hands, remember him, readers, has insisted that they will find others at the night fort and that Sam must bring them back to him. How did you get through the wall? Jojen asks. Apparently the black gate below could let a black brother pass, but only one who has said the vows can find and operate the gate. It's a little vague, but Sam must bring the one back to Cold Hands, the one, the chosen one, who has... Cold hands and rides an elk and is followed by a swarm of ravens. Truly, it's a hard thing for Sam to explain, but he really wants to take Jojen to cold hands. Jojen, though, indicates that it's Bran that cold hands wants, not he himself. And for the first time, Sam really looks at Bran. You're Jon Snow's brother, the one who fell. They confirm, and Sam promises not to tell anyone, as Bran is, of course, supposed to be dead right now. Summer sidles up to Sam and gives him an improving sniff, and that is all Bran needs to decide to go with him. Uh, together they descend the long winding stair inside the well. When they neared the bottom, they could see a white gate, almost glowing like moonlight, with a face on it. Its eyes opened, pale and white as well. Who are you? Sam recites the oath of the Night's Watch, and the door replies, then passed. And its lips parted like some creepy clown door at a carnival and this scooby-doo gang was ushered through by Sam. As Bran passes through on Hodor's shoulders, he bumps his head on the upper lip and a bead of water trickles down his nose and into his mouth. It was warm and salty as a tear. Now I threw that clown reference in there just for you, Matt. Thanks, buddy. You're welcome. Wait, that wasn't in the text? No. Great, now I don't get to sleep tonight. <laughs> Appreciate uh, ya. Well, I figured if I'm not going to sleep over Mad, uh, the Mad Axe, you shouldn't sleep. So Mad Axe is freaky. Freaky. And really I love is. I love that Germ just went with, like, what is it called? The thing that passes in the night or something? Doesn't yeah. even give it a name or anything. Just calls it the, that. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. The, Prenti- the Prentice boys uh, experienced the thing that comes in the night, I think they call it, in this chapter. And they each experience it differently um, in, in, uh, in the Legends of the Night Fort thing that I referenced earlier. I, I compared it to Bird Box, wherein people see a different variation of horror depending on who they are and what's horror to them. And I don't know if that's exactly what's going on here, but uh, it very much seems like the thing that comes in the night comes for you and enslaves or corrupts or makes you crazy. And then you are kind of its slave because you drag chains along behind it. It's creepy. And it brings it brings you along with it. Yeah. Very creepy. The big headed the big headed the big red headed murderous axe wielder walking around in his socks. Also kind of creepy. <laughs> Very dripping blood from his axe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We didn't even talk about the seventy nine sentinels, which are is that did I say that right? Yeah. You the got 70, it. Yeah. Yeah, this was in our I mean, summary last time, but we that's one before. of the creepier ones too. That they're just buried alive in the wall, like it's awful. Yeah, Jorman's horn is going to wake him up. Yeah, I see it. I see it. That's K two sticker that I got on my on my thing. Let's see it. Did you give Matt one, or did you keep them all? Mine's on my guitar case. That's where I put my stickers. Yay. As if I would keep them all. What am I, like some sort of terrorist? He, he Maybe. gave them to me. 
And I gave you a Tyrell sticker. You did. Mice and Fire Con. And a Lannister sticker. And a Lannister sticker because you like Jamie. And the book that Motsi got me. I got all sorts of stuff from Mice and Fire Con. For not going I feel like you, I, you didn't have to go. <laughs> I feel this like I've said it. Be. I'm going to say it again. He does not want to be called Motsi. It's too late. It's no, it's too not. late we can for fix, me now. We can fix this. <laughs> Motes. You know what I said likes? today on Twitter about the lawn thing. <laughs> yes. It's too late for me it's now. Too late for me now. <laughs> We're going to save you from that lawn. <laughs> the dad lawning club. <laughs> the worst Man. part is that we're in a pretty severe drought in Utah, in the Salt Lake Valley, yes. and we're not supposed to be watering our lawn very much. And seeing the yellow spots is just, it just hurts me to even go outside. But trying to, to quote Padme, though, to quote Padme, though, Matt, you're going a place I can't follow. <laughs> I have no interest in doing the yard work that you're interested in doing. No. <sighs> I, I don't, don't like like uh, gardening. That's not a thing I enjoy. But yeah. I love yard work. Other than that, I Oof. love Saturday mornings to go outside and just get my hands dirty for a while. Mm-hmm. I love Saturday mornings for reading while I have a cup of coffee. My man, my man. What about you, anyway, K2? Look, what do you like doing like, on Saturday mornings? Like different things. I I well Let's tomorrow morning off. I'm gonna go exercise. But you are gardening. an exerciser. Gardening is my jam. Oh. Actually. Mm-hmm. Tomatoes grow up here well. I have to grow things that the elk won't eat. Mm. They think my garden is like an all-you-can-eat buffet. So it's pretty annoying. Freaking so jerks. They don't eat tomatoes. Go figure. Interesting. Huh. Interesting. I don't huh. know what to say. So, anyway. Back to the gardening podcast. <laughs> Has your elk ever <laughs> ridden, had a guy riding on <laughs> yes. it? Yes. With Only hands. when the ravens are around, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Raven swirling. <laughs> it was right back, right back to cold hands. Yeah. While while we're on the elk, it's not this <laughs> chapter, but the next chapter talks a lot about the uh, ten foot elk, su- the big elk, but also summer constantly about like, can I take trying you? to eat the elk? <laughs> can I take you? You smell really good, man. I'm behind you all day. I'm behind you all day. And I feel like I could take you. And the elk's just like lowering his antlers and be like, don't do it, man. Don't do I it. I know you're hungry. I'm not Carl's Jr. Yeah. This is not a Wendy's, sir. <laughs> I went there. Elk Can we talk about big. Yes. <laughs> Can we talk about the boot analogy with the skin changing? Okay. Yes. Let's do it. Because I love the analogy. Where uh, remind us of remind our listeners sure. of what's going on here? Yeah, so uh, Bran has been skin changing summer for many many chapters, many many moons for a long time. It's like uh, a glove. It's very very comfortable doing it. Very easily done. Summer does not resist. It's a partnership almost. You you would think. Um, in the previous chapter, Bran very briefly skin changes Hodor almost without even knowing he's trying to do it. Mm-hmm. But he reached out in the quote-unquote same way that he reaches out to Summer. And he does it to calm Hodor down during a lightning storm when he's about to give away their location. They're in the of, Queen's Tower, right? They're in the, yeah, the Queen's Tower, the Queen's Crown. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the tower, they're kind of in, in the gift. Uh, where the wildlings are, where they're with John and that whole 
fracas goes goes down. You remember everybody. You remember everybody. You remember you remember all these things. Yes. Um, so so he does it then to calm to calm Hodor down. He does it now again to try to protect the group. Mira is about to fight the Mad Axe in Bran's mind all by herself, and Bran thinks I can't let her do that alone. So he forces his right foot into a left-footed boot. Uh, his right foot, the right foot being his brain and consciousness and will, into Hodor, uh, Hodor's consciousness, a left, a left foot. And it is a hard fit. It is resistant. It is difficult. It is not comfortable. It is very clearly meant to give the reader an impression of a situation that is not comfortable for the boot, nor for the person wearing it. And expert writing, really well done to tell us this should not be happening. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, Bran does it for a good reason, I will say, to protect his friends and himself. Uh, but what an analogy. That's the main thing I wanted to say with all of that. Yeah, it's a he's he he gets it, but he doesn't get it. As you know, he and in fairness, there's a real threat. And even if he did understand what a poor decision it was, he still may make it if it's a matter of survival. Um, yeah. which at this point in time, and even us as readers, you know, again, we're in the minds of Moria, like, okay, the fucking works are coming. Like, we don't know it's Sam either. <laughs> um, right? At the first time we read it anyway. No and, idea. Uh, yeah. You know, so I, I, it's a tough one. It's a great, your example is great that he's he's letting us know this is bad. But uncomfortable, necessary, a necessary evil, probably, in the mind of Bran at the moment. Yeah, I mean, they're kids. They are Scooby Doo. They are children. Yeah, this is this is kind of a. Uh, I think we've likened it before to a Goonies tale, mm. with mm-hmm. Bran sloth. and Jojen and Mira and yeah, Hodor and sloth. slash Sloth. <laughs> yep. Uh huh. Yeah. Yep. Mm. But but the analogy is interesting because in part because it isn't violent. It isn't like I had to slice his neck open to do it. It's uncomfortable. We've all put a boot on the wrong foot or a shoe on the wrong foot. You can do it. It's uncomfortable and you're like, oh, that's wrong. It doesn't feel right. I need to change this. But it doesn't make you. Yeah, I need to change this. I shouldn't be doing it this way. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't make you lose your foot. There's no penalty to it that is dire to your existence. Right. And so that's why it's interesting to me is that George is telling us they can do this. They know it's uncomfortable, but they can do it without penalty. And it's a conscious choice and a conscientious choice whether you're going to do it. And Bran doesn't have, we've talked about this lots of times in this podcast, but Bran doesn't have that guy to tell him it's uncomfortable, also, it's wrong. Don't do it, right? Mm-hmm. And that's coupled with his natural curiosity as well and disregard for discomfort and safety. You know, climbing the walls mm-hmm. of Winterfell when mom's told him multiple times not to and he knows how dangerous it is, yet he would still do it, knowing yep. the danger, yep. right? 
He, he wants to push those envelopes. Yeah. He's not like me where I'm searching for the most comfortable path to anywhere and anything, please. <laughs> yeah. He will push through that and yep. uh, to see what's on the other side, just as natural curiosity. Again, like we've said, it's not malicious. Bran is not this dastardly villain character yet, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. But it's concerning for sure. And George has done a great job establishing that personality of Bran to where you can see that he's doing this because that's Bran and that's what he does. Um, Doesn't make it less terrifying. Agreed. It's awful to read. It really adds to the horror in a lot of ways. Because you know he doesn't know better. So you're only going to assume this is going to get worse. Mm Mm-hmm. Until he's holding the door somewhere and you're in tears crying. It ends I don't, I don't know what you're talking about, but, <laughs> but he, he I, I want, I just want to go back to that real quick. He doesn't know it's wrong. Yes and no. He knows that a boot on the wrong foot is not good. That's his brain telling us that's what it feels like. And even a kid knows that's not good. They'll change the boot. They're like, oh, this isn't no, this isn't right. But well, after a certain to point. your point. <laughs> If if you're likening toddlers. it just to the boots, then yeah, toddlers toddlers will walk around with their shoes on the wrong foot deliberately. Yeah. So he's he's nine though. The scale of knowing it's wrong and it being uncomfortable aren't the it's not the same scale that we the reader know. Right. That also, if the house is, is on fire, if the house is on fire, maybe it's okay. The boots on the wrong foot. Fine, get out of the house. Like it's okay. Yeah, which is where he's at right now. Yeah, which is where he's at right now. I need to defend my friends. Just put the boot on. And I can't do it unless I'm the big monster guy. Monster guy. I shouldn't say that. So put the boot on. Yeah, wielding a sword. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Again, I'm not saying he made a bad choice. Really, in the circumstances, I'm more just saying he knows it's not right. A nine-year-old knows when the boot is on the wrong foot. Yeah. And to add to that, I'm saying that that's part of his personality too, which makes it even, you know, more believable that he'll keep doing this. That's in line with who he is. So yeah, make it work. Climb the tower. How do I get to the top? Yep. And I'm doing it because I like doing that kind of thing. I like to see what's at the top. I like to see what comes of my work. I don't like that. But yep. I, I get what you're saying, but I don't like it. Right. I yeah. I don't want to think about that with Bran. I I don't want to believe that about him. Bran is good. I, 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 mm-hmm. it's fine. This is fine. fine. This is fine. <laughs> it's all fine. As he wipes a tear from his face. <laughs> Here we are, Scad wanting to believe the best of people. <laughs> Matt being happening? like, it's going really wrong, man. It's, it's a rare thing. It's a rare thing. <laughs> Listen, I, I, I'm not super confident with where Bran is right now either, but I believe his heart is good. Absolutely. Of anyone in the series, he and Danny, I actually believe, have the best hearts in the series. And I want to believe that he doesn't want this. It's just that he doesn't know everything that he needs to know. Sure. Anyway, he knows and it's uncomfortable, and so I don't want to give him a free pass. And children are very influenced by their peers their mm-hmm. elders their surroundings yep. and yep. and you you know what is it it's very easy for both of them to be either heroes or or villains i think he would be I a know. very unwilling villain 
Yeah. Yes. Um, Good call. For yeah. sure, if that's where he yeah. ends up. I mean, when True. I first... Or unknowing. unknowing uh, or unknowing. Yeah. Like, he's the hero of his own story, but he's everybody yeah. else's villain, right? Um, that yeah. is possible, isn't it? I mean, I don't like to think that about Bran, but I'm a mother. He's a baby, so... <laughs> Yeah. Um, you talked about George's writing here and writing that passage. Mm-hmm. I loved this. This particular passage stuck out to me, and it's a little bit of foreshadowing maybe of others. He says, The warmth felt good, and the soft crackling of flame soothed him, but sleep would not come. Mm-hmm. And I love this part. Outside, the wind was sending armies of dead leaves marching across the courtyards <laughs> to scratch faintly at the doors and windows. Not only is that just terrifying to read, it adds to the creepy nature of the chapter, mm-hmm. but uh, armies of the dead, you know. And it speaks to where Bran's head is, right? For sure. They're just leaves, but he's making it armies of the dead. Mm-hmm. They're, that's what his brain is doing because of where he is. Scratching faintly at what the, the doors and windows. What the stories have taught him. Ooh, so creepy. Uh, I love it. Yeah, I love the way the sound is handled. A creeping fear just kind of grows on Bran with every slow step. So it's the leaves and then every step, just kind of the fear grows within him. Just it's all building, all of it, just bubbling up in him toward this crescendo of, of terror. It's beautiful. Boom! Sam Tarley. <laughs> and then and then boom, it becomes it becomes a comedy piece. Absolute it's... antithesis of anything scary. Like the two it's... yeah. I mean one of the biggest, like I was saying, this chapter is like all about fear, fear, fear. Everywhere you look, fear, fear, fear. And who the biggest self proclaimed coward in this story uh-huh. comes to the well. monster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's happening? And you just go, Oh okay. This is gonna be okay now. It's just Sam. <laughs> Can read about well, and then Sam. it's exciting, like to have like POVs mm-hmm. intersect is really quite rare, and yes, it's pretty. It's a pretty exciting like moment for those of us who are waiting for Sam and Arya to connect, and they do, and they don't know who each other are. You know, those things yes. you're like, come on, and it's like grabbing smoke, yes. and then we actually get it. He knows who Bran is, and he yes, we get that kind of satisfaction as readers like okay we checked like, out he knows him bran bran yes. knows john or sam knows john this is yes. all gonna be okay this is so oh, cool. no, he's just gonna let you go weird okay yeah and then he's gonna put you through the wall on the other side and be like peace out mm-hmm. but. but this moment though where he emerges and then like after they kind of figure out that he's not a threat where they untangle who he is and he's untangling who they are it's hilarious as they're untangling the actual as they're net. Un- right. They're untangling the actual, the actual net, totally. and they're also untangling each other's needs, wants, and identities okay. all at the same time. The funniest part, it's brilliant. The funniest part to me is the part where Sam's like asking if he's bleeding after being stabbed, and she's like, "You've yes. got freaking chainmail on. Like you're fine. Like yeah, I'm just up. imagining Mira, just like just <laughs> shut up, dude. Like, yeah, yeah, he's got the mithril on, and it's it's really it's straight so out funny. of. Uh, Lord of the Rings too because he's got the mithril uh-huh. yes, like, the he mithril gets stabbed and he's saved yeah, but it's yeah. funny instead of actually scary yes, for, right. for his life it's like it really is brilliant writing and very enjoyable to read but yeah but, it, but it's also almost like George realized how insane 
these two parties with these two crazy tales coming together really would be. He's like, there's no way these characters that I've brought could <laughs> describe the situation in a way that isn't total chaos and humor. And so we just went with it. He went with the horror in the first half of the chapter and he's just going with, this is comedy now. Right. There's like, did he oh, have antlers? Did, the elk? Did he have antlers? What? The elk? <laughs> the, the man? Is he green? <laughs> Who? Uh, Summer saw you? No, no, I'm Mira. Uh, who are you? No, I need the one. I'm not the one. You're talking about him. You're oh, John okay. Snow's brother. What? Like, it's just absolute inane comedy. It's hilarious. This should be your next skit at Ice and Fire Con. We should. should yeah. Oh my god. It's too many people. It's too slapstick. Yeah. You could do it. We could do it, but it's too many people. That is people funny. That is funny. <laughs> We'd have to have a wolf. We'd have to get like animatronics. It'd be a right because they're like his elk, his elk, his yeah, ravens, the elk part. Hodor, Hodor. Ravens? Yeah, every once in a while, I just get a Hodor. <laughs> yeah, every once in a while. Yeah, he's participating. Yeah, he's doing his best. It's like just like uh, in uh, Guardians. Of, I just watched Guardians of the Galaxy with the kids last night, and when oh, good one. Star Lord just meets. Groot for the first time, you know, and he's like, I am Groot. He's like, thank you for that. What does he say? Like, thank you for saying that again for the 1000th time. I really <laughs> yes, appreciate yes, that. You yes, know? Like, yes. Or establishing yes. that your name is Groot. Thank you. Because it would get really old. <laughs> and then Sam's you... just like, okay, I Hodor. Okay. Got it. But yes. Got yeah. it. <laughs> In the previous chapter of the Queen's crown, he's like, no more Hodoring. <laughs> Uh, which, I mean, poor guy, like it's the only way he can express himself and right. he's being told not to do it. Mm -hmm. but, His vocabulistics yeah. are limited to the words yes. I and M and Groot. And Groot. Yeah. Distinctly in that order. Yeah, <clears throat> correct. Rocket. <laughs> mm -hmm. Uh, the Black Gate, you guys want to talk about the Black Gate? Yes, please. But it's actually not black, it's white. It's white. It's Let's white. just establish it's that. It's white. I have to assume that's on purpose because it's for black brothers, right? Yes. Right. I would, I would hope that's the implication. Uh, but it is very much a white door. That's kind of glowing. It's a bit ironic during the chapter. Uh, Sam says, uh, you'll never find it without me. You'll never, and it's just down there. <laughs> you'll not find it. It's right at the base of the thing. <laughs> you literally walk down the steps and it's, there. it's right there. It's glow. It's glowing before you get to the bottom. It's come, a talk. It's a talking door, but you'll never find it. Come to me, Vespa. <laughs> oh, Matt doesn't like spaceballs. I don't think you know spaceballs, actually. You I know. know I know it enough. Yeah. Okay. I knew it enough. To come know to me, Vespa. Uh, but I assume that if Sam weren't there, it wouldn't actually have been there. That's it kind of maybe it not was. glowing or something. It wouldn't have been there at all, or they wouldn't have been able to see it, or or it just know, looked like a tree and yeah, didn't. yeah, exactly. Something like the wall, but I remember uh, Travis during our Legend of the Nightfall panel brought up. It's it's not, it, it's actually just the face of the heart tree that is growing up through mm. the roof. It's very thin and long and steep uh, with the well, but it's actually just the base of that tree that's growing through the kitchens, mm -hmm. and and now they've found the bottom of it, mm. but. It's a little weird. This is, this is, we talked about it in that panel too, but this is, it feels almost like the most magical element in the whole series. I was going to say that too. This, I put, 
this is like an uncommon instance of just straight up Hogwarts style magic. Yeah. Like, it's totally. not usually the magic that we see is brought around by someone like Melisandre doing something or casting some sort of spell. This is just like in it, just like standalone magical thing. Spells sewn into the wall. Right? It's just there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, of all the things in this chapter that surprised me, the door opening its eyes. Mm-hmm. I was like, wait, what? And talking. Is- yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, it really does. Even on reread, you're you're kind of it. It is always it's a a jarring. different. Yeah, yeah. little Beauty uh, and the Beastie, right? Like, I mean, think, try. I'll I'll give you a second. Try to think of another instance of magic in this book that is so blatantly given to us. That's exactly it. Just like a standalone magic. It's just there's no explanation. It's just magic. Right. This is a portal. To another world, kind of like the north, the north of the wall world that is separated by a magical barrier over the wall, and there's no explanation really given other than it's a portal, basically. Right, and I mean, there's other instances where, like Melisandre, I mentioned before, but she uses powders and little potions and stuff that maybe help things along. There's almost ways that you can kind of explain some of the other things. And Makoro has visions that very much seem magical and foresight and like he's getting visions of something that that feels very magical but this is like it's not person driven it's just innate it's just there it's magic in the world that exists and we don't get that much in this series right no i mean the first time when aria uh experiences the faceless men like changing their face like Mm -hmm. at the moment it's similar but then you still get this idea that there's a way that it's executed, right? As yeah, right. yeah. George goes out of it his way to explain it, how right? the, how it works, kind of. I mean, but it's at, still, the, at the moment, it's it. still shocking because you're like, yeah. Wait, how did he do that? Uh-huh. He goes from the kindly old man to the worm dude, or a uh, or a uh, Jochen. yeah, too. Jochen. yeah, yeah. yeah. <sighs> so I have a question. Great. When. Sam says his vows, he doesn't use the whole vow. So yep. he leaves out, he only says like the second half, second, two thirds, however you want to yep. do that uh, math. Um, is it the second half or is it the first half? He says the second half. I don't okay. know what I just said. But he says he says the end. He doesn't say the first the beginning. Okay. couple of sentences. And so he doesn't say night gathers and now my watch begins it shall not end until my death it shall not i shall not take no i shall take no wife hold no lands father no children i shall wear no crowns and win no glory he's he doesn't say the things he's not supposed to do but he does end up saying i'm the watcher on the walls i'm the fire that burns so he so do you think these were kind of like do you think they were written at separate times and amended and there's an original or do you think it didn't matter and he just said this is the shortened version was good enough or why did George forget the whole thing? (laughs) Why wouldn't it be the whole thing? So what he says, let's just read it. I am the sword in the darkness, Samuel Tarn said. I am the watcher on the walls. I am the fire that burns against the cold, the light that brings the dawn, the horn that wakes the sleepers. I am the shield that guards the realms of men. The entire one is 
Night gathers, and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall take no wife, hold no lands, father no children. I shall wear no crowns and win no glory. I shall live and die at my post. Okay, so that's that's the part that he omits. Then he gives pretty much the rest of it until I pledge my life and honor to the night's watch for this night and all the nights to come. Okay, so he kind of gives the middle section, mm -hmm. I guess, if you want yeah. to think of it that way. Yeah. But yeah, it's yeah. but it's interesting the stuff that he omit, uh, uh, omits. And I think it was B-Word on our Legends of the Night podcast that talked about this, that maybe they had an original set of vows, and after the Night's King, they added some of this first stuff. Yep. You thought of that too, Matt? Sorry. That's what I was just about to say, yeah. Go ahead, bring it. Um, well, to pick up where B-Word probably left off then, the Night's King, let's see what he did in violation of current... Night's Watch oaths, right? Yep. Uh, he violates the oath against taking a wife and, as Scad mentioned, probably fathering children. He takes titles for himself and his bride, right? And he violates that commandment of um, to guard the realms of men. It says that he sacrificed men to the others, right? He mm -hmm. sacrificed other humans to the others. So he violated all those things, which are the stuff that it omits here um i shall take no wife hold no lands father no children i shall wear no clown crowns and win night's no glory, king right night gathers is how it starts right um i pledge my life and honor to the night's watch for this night and all the nights to come so forever so you, maybe the point that b was going to make and that i was just thinking of too is that that stuff was added as they erased the night's king from memory they added this stuff in. So maybe Let's back... Let's make sure this doesn't happen again. Yeah, the prior the vows. 12 Lord Commanders, maybe they could uh, have wives and do some mm -hmm. of these things. But after, you know, what happened with Knight's King, they decided, hmm, we're going to tighten these things up a little bit. Tighten the screws. Yeah. 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 I think, uh, I think it was, I think it was B. Uh, B is uh, Beth. Good friend of the podcast. B word on uh, the twits. B word, uh, the Riddler on, on Twitter. Um, I think that was her that said that. And I think I agree. It's, it's, it sounds, it sounds like some, so sorry to bring it back home. Uh, this is old magic. It's old. It was probably there before or when the wall was constructed. Right. And so, it was there at the very beginning of the Night's Watch and would have been triggered by the original Night's Watch Oath, which we're now proposing and proposed by B-Word, I think, during that other panel. Uh, they'd added language later, right? And the language this was the language when it started, right? Because of the Night's King and his transgressions. Which language is much more sweeping and, like, heroic. I show... Yeah. I am the sword in the darkness. I am the yeah. watcher on the walls. That's very like, yeah. that's more yeah, just yeah, like yeah. Uh, uh, metal than, than yeah. I shall take no wife and hold no yeah. lands. You <laughs> no, know? you're right. They sound very like human rule based mm -hmm. instead of just like guarding, guarding humanity based. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Hmm. Yeah. You really Good wonder question. If, K2. No, well, it's just kind of obvious. Yeah. Maybe, when you guys were talking, just wonder, you know, did they pick 
that place to build the night fort because of this tree oh, that could talk? So that or, was, yeah. or did the yeah. magic come somehow after, or was it imbued with the magic? Because a, some, a note that I have in here is just like, why is the night fort so creepy? Why is this particular place so full of these stories when some of these other castles are not? Why is it always this one yeah. place? And if you've got this talking tree and it's the first castle and it was built, it has to have been built sort of like with the wall, kind of, because mm -hmm. the stairs, like, it's hard to imagine them building one then the other. But it just leaves a lot of questions as to which came first and what what was the cause, was there a cause of some other thing going on? It's just a lot of fun things to think about. For sure. Yeah, I just looked at the map of the different castles and tried to kind of visually gauge, you know, where the night fort was uh, on the, mm -hmm. the segment of the whole distance of the wall. Right. It's it's roughly in the middle. The middle exactly, yeah. But it's close. I, I feel like the question, the, the answer to your original question, K2, is that there was a werewood here, that there was a sense of magic or godlike power here and they built around it yeah and that and the wall extended brand the builder extended from this spot all the way out and this weirwood has been there since then magically imbued and performing as a portal and a source of magic that they focused on from that moment probably with the help of the children of the forest and everything else and that that that's where they built it from yeah and if or if the literal translation of the, the octagon, etc. Was it like a church uh, for them? Mm. Oh, yeah. Was it, it a was place? converted into a kitchen. You made it a kitchen? Yeah. This was a holy place. What the? But is it, you know, which, again, it goes to which came first. What was it that was so special about that place that they chose it? Or was there mm -hmm. something special? And did it become special later? Or is it really not special at all? And it's just a cool castle and it has a talking tree. Or it was and it's just lost to the sands of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. One thing, questions. One thing, again, that came up in the panel was just that uh, this was Travis that brought this up, I think, that crossing through the Black Gate is a threshold. Once you cross this line, things change for you. And... If you go read the next chapter in Dance of Dragons for mm -hmm. Bran, it's very clear that it is a different experience. The The chapters north are... Um, it's a little uncomfortable. It's a bunch of kids traveling alone. Uh, they're freezing. They don't know, they don't they're have freezing. Food. They're cold. They don't have a lot of food. It's a little own. uncomfortable. But when they cross into the north of the wall area, it's... It's dire. It, the writing is different. George just the style is different. It's not Scooby Doo gang getting along, having conversations. It's trudging like Sam, and it's hard and it's different. And so them passing through this gate is also just a symbol of in their personal journey of a change in their lives, right? Yep. A Rubicon. I think you called it earlier. Whoa. Ooh. Whoa. Ensorcelled. 
<laughs> I maintain that's a real word. It is. I've heard it too. I'm sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I totally agree. It's another instance of uh, the, what, what was it that we were talking about with the green dreams of like prophetic visions don't offer much in the way of practical advice. Like you're going to be going north of the wall, maybe take some coats. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Should we dress warmer? It's just like yeah. go north of the wall. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. Come on guys. Um, I was, I felt so sad for Sam. So he has done nothing but really <laughs> heroic things, you know, since getting Gilly. I mean, the guy killed another. Here's the recap of what he did coming from his mouth that he tells Bran and Mira and Jojen. I'm only a steward. I took care of Lord Mormont's ravens. I lost them at the fist, though. It was my fault. I got us lost, too. I couldn't even find the wall. It's 100 leagues long and 700 feet high, and I couldn't find it. And... It just breaks my heart that poor Sam can't even give himself a little more credit and let himself be the hero that he is. He's the uh, slayer. Yeah. It's like, I lost all the ravens and I couldn't find the wall and I'm just awful. He, he doesn't even mention in that that he killed, a, that he killed another. By the way, he doesn't even another. bring it up. Doesn't even bring it up. I just went through this harrowing fight. I reread the Sam chapter prior to this event where he fights the, the, um, the white and it's his mm -hmm. buddy. It's um, oh, Small Paul. He fights White yes. Small Paul. And that is terrifying to read, him fighting him. and um, But no, all he can think about is how he lost the Ravens and da-da-da-da-da. I just feel bad for the guy. It's just well, sad. When, you're, it's when you're abused by your father to feel like you're of no value, then that's what you're going to constantly tell yourself. He's conditioned to yeah, yeah. see the worst mm -hmm. in himself. He's not a champion for himself, and yeah. he's never going to be. Maybe maybe that will be his arc, and we can celebrate that one day. But I hope so. I, I just so. want him to see him as Gilly sees him. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Gil Gilly is the best of us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She is. She's better than the rest of us, for sure. We so, kind of mentioned the rat cook already. Do we want to spend any more time on it? Just, just as a as a reference point for the Red Wedding, it is I think meant to remind us of that horror. That the just guest happened. right and yeah, that guest mm -hmm. right is important. That the gods feel it's important, at least the northern gods do. Yeah, uh, it's not just a thing that exists in the Riverlands or something. That this is something right. that's a widely held belief across cultures, cross continental. Like everyone feels this way and have for a long time. And has, yeah, like legendary status. Mm -hmm. it's, yeah. It's one of it, those stories that everyone knows and tells. It's interesting, too, how he doesn't tell us what the crime was because he doesn't even want us judging or determining if this guy was right to do what he did or not. He just mm -hmm. wants us matter. to know yeah. exactly that it's completely irrelevant. <laughs> it's... What, what is the crime? Is this guess right? And that thread through the rest of the story and how it does hold a lot. It's a glue that holds a lot of things together yes. that starts to, you know, dry up and unravel, so to speak. And it's, it's, 
There's even an example, there's a lot of examples where they mock it, you know, like being afraid and, and, and just how, you know, kind of like bad it is seen, whatever. But there's even um, an example when, uh, I might butcher this, forgive me, when Brienne is getting taken to Lady Stoneheart, and it's, is it Jane Heddle? What's her name? Not, not Masha Heddle. Well, the other head the, of the, the daughter, niece, the daughter, the niece, yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Jane. it's Jane. I, yeah, I, Jane she, sounds right. But she says, like, Brian's like, time out. Like, I, I didn't do any of these things, and um, she's like, well, it's like, oh no, no. She says, Catelyn's dead. She's like, well, death and guest right don't don't mean much anymore, mm. and it calls it even because calls it out, and it's constantly through the rest of the story just how that trust that kind of thing you could count on like it being broken is breaking this oh, their their culture yeah yes yeah and and well and, like if you can't trust this what can you trust right so yeah so it's it has this impact so we're seeing the gravity of it he's trying to tell us that this is fucking important yeah right by this story of how, story first of all, how scary it is and gross it is but this like I said, like you don't even get to know what the guy did. You just have to know he is yeah. not allowed to do this. <laughs> but yeah. um, I, I I don't know. It's gross. These stories and fray pies and fray mm-hmm. pies. Do you guys have anything else in this section you want to hit? I looked up the yeah. symbol. You know, the everybody probably knows this one: the symbolism of crow. Give it to oh, me. Oh, yeah, where Sam says, I'm a crow. He specifically calls himself that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one word popped up again, big giant word, and it just said death. Mm. <laughs> that was fascinating. And it's a murder of crows. So there you go. A murder of mm-hmm. crows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I thought that was uh, just in general for the Night's Watch. I mean, it wasn't really specific just to that, but I was looking at it because of the words in the past. But. So the symbolism being that Sam, by letting them through the wall, is that's kind of an ominous tone. Then Sam describes himself as a crow, and he's the a one. bringer of death. Yeah, a symbol of and death. And he escorts him right out. He escorts oh. them to the other side. Uh-huh. And the last thing that happens, I guess, we're to infer that this door sheds a tear. Like, what's the door crying about? Why would this door be sad? Mm-hmm. This uh, sweet boy. You know, so I, that doesn't, that's ominous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that it ends with the word tear. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't spend yeah, as much I, time as I should have <clears throat> thinking about that. Why did the face cry? Do you think it's possible it's just Bran crying? He bumped his head and he feels a tear come down and he tastes it and it's actually just his tear and he's not blaming the blaming the opening but just that it's it's his acknowledgement that he's moving on to a different part of his life here. yeah step two yeah phase two of i don't the know plan. i i only just now thought of it i haven't really looked at the text to see if it's supported it's not but... nearly as exciting scad it just what, says as exciting it, as what though i would love if i had an explanation for what that means that makes any sense at all because why the door is just crying at them going through i don't understand mm-hmm. but but i agree with you if it, if i could find something that meant something i'd prefer it 
It's different. The weirwoods, they often seem to cry like they're red tears, right? Yeah. But this one is specifically a little different. Yeah, he wasn't like, mmm, syrup. Yeah. So there's something different about this tree and face. You mentioned it being the base of that weirwood. I don't know that that's ever specifically mentioned that it is, but I think it's a good inference. Um, yeah. No, it's not ever it, specifically referenced. It was uh, an inference by Travis. Yeah. It is. It is. It would make it a different weirwood. The other ones don't glow and yeah, cry salty tears and stuff that we know of. That we know yeah. of. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's spend some time getting to to know k2 a little bit yeah let's close the chapter on this brand what was this brand four brand four it was a goodie it was a fun one but what what k2 is your song of ice and fire story oh jeepers you guys are gonna want to hear this okay um (laughs) we wouldn't ask it if we didn't (laughs) well i mean like how did you find it like Uh So my brother and sister-in-law were visiting and she was like, we got to watch our show. I was like, turn the show on, whatever. So we're watching the show and I'm struggling to figure out why I was like, why is this guy doing that? And what's that horse? (laughs) And then I'm like, wait a second. They just cut off Sean Bean's head. That was my introduction. Oh no. That episode? (laughs) Season one. Episode nine, episode was it? nine, Baylor. Yeah, it was. And I was oh, like, wow. that's like watching I... Star Wars Empire Strikes Back. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, uh, and she was freaking out. And I was clearly, I had seen, like, I knew he was who he was. And I was like, it couldn't possibly have just cut off that guy's head. So I was like, all right, I'll go. so I watched them and then I read the books. Uh-huh. And in all honesty, and I don't, you know, again, I have said this multiple times, like I'm a reader for pleasure. Like I'm about joy. The amount of stuff I did not capture on that first read through is, is massively embarrassing. I'm like, what? You know, how, yeah. I, you are not I don't, alone. I, yeah, I, I, so of course I had to go back and these are long books and I had to read them again. Are they? And I was like, oh my God. And, um. And then, yeah, so that's how I got introduced. And then um, I got my husband to start watching at one point, And he did this, ended up doing the same thing. He watched the first episode. And, you know, that first episode is it's hilarious to watch somebody watch the first one. And, you know, they're Cersei and Jamie are going at it. And Brian gets tossed <laughs> out a window. And my husband's like, nice show, honey. <laughs> so oh, my God. Just, like, yeah, like, just wait. Is. Yeah, okay. <laughs> So, um, yeah, that was my introduction was the very wrong episode. Wow. The Vader, I am your father, basically. It's, it's certainly an interesting place to begin. Yeah. <laughs> but 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 you saw that episode and almost immediately went out and decided to get the books? Or you yeah. kept watching and then you're like, oh, I'll get the books now. Like, oh, did you go husband. back and start at season one, episode one? And... I think I, I can't totally remember. I think I... I I think I watched season one and yeah. then my husband's a librarian. So I don't buy books. Yeah. He brought nice. the books home and then we both read them. Okay. Um, yeah. And then I would, and I think I went back and forth because I don't remember what was that. I mean, obviously it was live. So 
Mm-hmm. You're waiting anyway between yeah. seasons. So I must have read them. I bet I read I While bet I read you were them watching season one. Between season one and two is I bet. Oh, right. okay. Yeah. I bet okay. Right. okay. And what what about the fandom? Like how did you find the fandom? What yeah, you said you read for that? joy and everything, but didn't really engage in other mm-hmm. fandoms before. Um, so I I wanted to learn um Twitter. Because I didn't understand it. Um, so I live. <laughs> I still don't. All right. But I, you know, my community is like, it's a ski community and it's, social media is not really big. We just talk to each other and see each other and ski with each other. We don't, hmm. you know, if we're on Facebook, it's for high school people and it's hmm. not. So I didn't get it and um, I wanted to learn it. And so I thought I would choose a topic. To follow, no uh-huh. and I chose the show because mm-hmm. you would see the news talk, or not the news, but you know what I mean. Like people were like, "Oh, and this was trending on Twitter after the show, this episode." And so I was like, "Okay, I'm going to go follow for Game of Thrones and see if I can understand Twitter." And that is actually how I found it. And then I would jump back and forth to maybe YouTube videos or podcasts over time, and um. And just found different guys like you, and guys like us. Then started like engaging, us. and you know, and um, started talking to people, and and then they would talk back, and <laughs> then that was pretty much it. <laughs> and then that became more important than the books themselves. Correct. And and at Correct. this point in time, what keeps me engaged very much is the people. I mean, I love yeah. the rabbit holes, as you can tell, but like I can find rabbit holes and other things elsewhere. Um, but it's at this point in time, it is absolutely the people. It's very much a very special group of people. I mean, I think, you know, they're rotten apples everywhere, but in general, it seems like a very special group of people to me. I think so. All right. Favorite minor character in A Song of Ice and Fire. You got one? I mean, blood and cheese, right? Wow. Okay. (laughs) Good night, everybody. (laughs) I mean... I'm afraid uh, that, one that was you for know what I'm afraid that you know what city I live in, and uh, I feel like we should say good night. I mean, uh, it's only because I made there. I immortalized them in cake, but you no, you did a um, wonderful cake, a very creepy cake. I love a it. very creepy cake. That was yep. that was just one of those things. Again, comes to me right away. That's what you I do. roll with it. Um, honestly, I have started to find that my the. the Fire and Blood characters, I find super interesting. What, what? So, um, and that was, we actually, uh, we almost did Fire and Blood for this. We of, yeah, I was going to say, blood. you were considering very close, the yeah. section of Fire I and Blood I wanted to do this. it really badly. I spent lots of time, like, trying to find a section that would work. And then it was like, it was just too much. But it was either too much or, it, 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 and enough. honestly, it was because I didn't think I had enough time. Like, yeah. we really um, haven't had this on the calendar for very long. If we were, like, going to do this in preparation for the show and we had a little bit more time, because what we were going to do was the section leading into the dance. Yes. And I think that is actually super interesting that those characters. So anyway, to answer the question, the queen that never was is my jam. And I love the good queen Allison. I do think that they're fascinating characters and i i really because we get them 
in history book style versus this this novel style POV narrative. I'm yeah. looking, yeah, I'm looking forward to the show actually maybe bringing them to life more yeah. instead of the show trying to do as good of a job as the books did. They they have a really interesting opportunity to take more ownership with it, and George is involved, so. It could actually be quite good. I don't know. And, and it, it could be disappointing and whatever. But um, even though I thought the show had lots of flaws, I really Story enjoyed like it. I, it I, again, I found it very entertaining. It didn't, oh, yeah, it didn't have to yeah. satisfy me, so to speak. You know, It's the difference between you and me, K2, is that you're like, oh, what an opportunity for them to flesh out this character. And I'm like, they're going to ruin it. She has this amazing, the queen that ever was has this amazing place in my brain, and they're gonna ruin it. That's stop! My, stop! That's my spe- that's my pessimistic attitude. Until they ruin it, they're going to do wonderful things, and then if they ruin it, I will I will probably be the first, especially with her. She's my jam. So she's also they, my jam. She's my favorite it, character from the books, from the mm-hmm. the history book for sure. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I want to see. Yeah, and so anyway, if blood and cheese really is something. <laughs> good, Thank good you. cover. Thank you for clarifying. Uh, that. It's late. It is. <laughs> Do you have any personal tinfoil that you want to see proven right? Personal tinfoil? No. One of my, I love all the tin. I love the tinfoil. I think is a joke and would never be true. But I have to say, I really like the Asharidane. Mira's mm. mom um, theories. Mm-hmm. I think honestly, one of the things I like so desperately want to be true. Um, yeah. like all the things yeah. that to me just is super cool. I, I definitely don't think Ashardane is dead. Um, so what better place for her to be? Um, than the neck. If Chloe's listening, she she's happy for yeah. sure. Yes, yeah. yes. Well, she she's like another one. Another one. And I'm <laughs> and I'm sure she is. <laughs> I'm sure she is. <laughs> Doesn't miss an episode. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> She's one of the three that you mentioned. <laughs> no, no, two. It was two. <laughs> well, it would have been three, but K2 is on this episode. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So I will not so be listening. Just just one other. I lived it, Dottie. <laughs> uh yes, that was a PB Herman reference. Uh good lord. <laughs> which which book character arc do you like the best? I mean, I assume it's not the Queen Who Never Was because you don't get the detail to kind of no. get that meat. So my favorite POV in general is Catelyn's. I think, mm-hmm. okay. which isn't exactly the question. what you've said. But the way he reveres her character, so it's not about whether I like Catelyn or not. So it's that I think what he does with her POV is, very, really, really interesting. And and her POV introduces us to so many houses and so many things. And Mm, you see mm -hmm. everything through her. And then when we get to feast and dance and we don't get cat POVs, I think we miss them more than we realize. And I really like the Mm. aria to cat um, upstairs, downstairs in the Riverlands and the war. You've got Catelyn and Mm. like at the war councils and with the lords and Arya's, you know, in the trees and in the, the muck. Hall. And it's like this, moss. yeah, it's like this upstairs and downstairs look. I think that's just that really cool true. how he does that. But that wasn't the question. 
the arc. Um, I'd give this honestly. I would. I think Sansa and Theon mm-hmm. probably have the most hmm. interesting journeys um, of of liking them, not liking them, hating them, <laughs> sympathizing, empathizing, cheering for them. Like that, the, that, that is like, to me, the most erratic. Um, and those are, and they're journeys and they're fun journeys. They're not, it's not annoying. Like, ugh. And they're also not nearly done yet. I mean, they, they both got places to go mm-hmm. going yeah. forward. Yeah. That, so, gamut, I like, that gamut of emotions for both of them is very true. Yeah, and Tyrion, Tyrion too. I'll throw him in. I, mm-hmm. I think he fits that bill. I like what you said about Cat though too, and I, I feel I feel like Cat is, you 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 said something about the way he writes her. I feel like she feels the most real. She seems the most like the most real human that we get. Feels like Cat to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know I why I think you are right about that is she doubts herself a yeah. lot. She questions, she regrets, she has guilt, she uh, is in pain. You know, she she talks herself out. She feels one way, like in the Cat 3 chapter I was talking about earlier, she says she was ashamed of her behavior and she wouldn't do it again. She would show them how strong a Tully of Riverrun could be. Yeah. And she doesn't let them see her that weak again. She feels it. And so she tells the reader, I'm weak. She tells the reader, I'm guilty. She tells the reader, I'm wrong. But she doesn't tell the lords and the people around her. She wears a, an armor. And it's fascinating to watch. Um, yeah. And I think it's a lot why why so many people actually dislike Kat is um, we see all the doubt she has and then we believe it. Yes, she was wrong. Yes, she sucks. Yes, she was mean. And so we all, we go with her on that journey of self-doubt. I mean, if everyone saw in my head, you'd all hate me because you'd be like, God, you really, you suck because, you know, that's what you think of yourself. You have, you're very hard on yourself. So that's why I think you're probably right that she might be one of the most real. And I think he takes a lot of time with her. Um, And she gives her, I mean, the only meeting between Renly and Stannis is in the cat chapter. And we just see so much through her eyes and we see Rob through her eyes. And we all love Rob because it's like adoring mom looking at Rob. Yeah. It's, it's like so it's we're so tainted yeah Yeah. so she's she's so capable uh you know in what she does in those chapters but also so flawed in her own mind and in the way she thinks about herself maybe maybe that's maybe that's what makes it more most real you kind of said something similar earlier yeah and she does make bad decisions i mean She's faced, but she acknowledges them more than Mm -hmm. most. She does own them, right? She does own them, but she's—I think she's faced with many impossible decisions, and she has to make. How do you choose between going with Rob and going home to Bran Rickon? Like you just, yeah, it's a terrible choice, Mm -hmm. and you have to choose. And she does, and yeah, would she have been able to do it? It's just—I just think she's interesting so that's that's my favorite pov but the arcs i do like sounds on Theon's journey good answer i love i love their journeys too uh moving forward into wins 
Which POV are you most excited to get? Well, either Lady Stoneheart or Ghost. Ghost. <laughs> we've had we've had <laughs> Lady Stoneheart before, or we've had at least Jamie and Brienne. Answers Correct. Before. I'm not yeah. sure we've had the. I'm not sure we've had the Stoneheart answer exactly. Mm. Yeah, but because we haven't had a Stoneheart. No, there is POV. no Stoneheart POV. Yeah, POV. Um, but but we might get her view from Jamie or Brienne. Right, they're right. all kind of yeah, yeah connected. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. so obviously it's probably going to come in the form of a Jamie or Brienne chapter, but that was more of my optimism. Like, mm-hmm. actually, give me a Lady Stoneheart chapter. <laughs> That'd be amazing. I want to see what's going on in there <laughs> because we get to see the fire zombie version. We'd be like. <laughs> Right. Me, she, right. warm. Me, yeah, warm. you thought people Vengeance. didn't like Catelyn Me. before. Wait till you get the Stoneheart POV. <laughs> totally. <laughs> we can really hate her. But um, anyway. Ghost is interesting because we, we've seen POVs from the wolves before. There's a chapter where Bran skin changes summer and runs around and tries to climb a sentinel tree and get in the, the, the godswood or whatever, escape the godswood. I don't remember which one. But uh, we've seen POVs in wolves before, at least sections of them. Mm-hmm. Ghost would be very interesting to see what, mm-hmm. like, his perspective of what's happening at the wall. Mm-hmm. And Ghost cool. is different. Like, he's a different wolf. Yeah. He's the quiet sure. wolf. Like, what the, would the ghost and what does he know? Does he right? just chill and have a sandwich? You but know? yeah, like, who's making him a sandwich? Well, yeah, he's, he's making him a burrow. These are the questions we need answered, Matt. Who is making? Him- Ghost sandwich. He doesn't have thumbs, guys. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, well, that's that's about all we have for tonight's episode. Shall we do a sign off? Do you have a sign off prepared, K two? Sure. All right. I, let's I've, lead with uh, you. So, um, just listening to your other, I just have a, a musical lyric, of course, Yes. a, a song that, um, Westward Panic did not write, but they made their own. And this, this is actually probably one of my favorite lyrics just in the world, but I think it actually really applies to brand. Mm. Um, and it is, and Matt, you'll love this one too. Um, but it's, and the Lord uses the good ones and the bad ones use the Lord. And that's it. And I think Bran is a good one. He's a good one. And I think he's getting used. And I think the bad ones use the Lord, like maybe Melisandre. <laughs> anyway, I just it it it's it it's even if we didn't do this chapter, I think this has always just been one of my favorite lyrics of all time. Give give the lyric again. And the Lord uses the good ones, and the bad ones use the Lord. That could apply to so many instances in A Song of Ice and Fire. Uh-huh. And That's it's cool. not even why I like it, but it does fit. It, <laughs> it just, just fits. It just yeah. happens to fit. So. That's a good one. That's a good one. Mine isn't nearly as, uh, as, as deep or poignant. Simply just thinking about the rat cook. So this is Matt signing off, affirming that Rodents of unusual size? I don't think they <laughs> exist. That's good. Uh, my sign-off is about consequences, I guess. And 
I think a lot of the stories uh, in in this chapter are about more more than about what actually happened. They're more about the lessons they're trying to teach to the people that hear them, and the consequences of behaving in a certain manner, and trying to teach people not to behave in a certain way. And we don't get political too often in this podcast. But we're in the middle of January 6th trials. And there are some egregious behaviors being discovered and very clearly reported and very clearly known. And the tales have to live on for what occurred here. And consequences have to be delivered down in order to avoid future behavior that's similar. And I know that got really heavy, but I can't I can't not deliver something like that if I have any sort of window to do so. So that's where I am tonight. Well, thanks for saying that. it. Mm-hmm. Amen. Mm-hmm. Good night, everybody. Yep. Welcome, everyone, to Davos Fingers, episode 123, Tales of the Night Fort, featuring K2. I'm scatting with me, as always, is my buddy, Matt. Scott, real quick, are we 123 or 124? Oh, damn, did I not change that? Here we go again, take two. Me, 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 me. Welcome, everyone, to episode 110. Oh, nope. Wow. Nope. Nope. <laughs> take three. See, now I'm flustered. Let's throw it for a loop and I'll do the intro and you do. that would be Oh funny. my god, do it. That would yes. be funny sometime. <laughs> yes. I was kind of kidding. Let's do it. It's kind of your thing. I think it's what people expect is to hear your voice do it, but It would be amazing though. Do you want to do it? Let's try a take. <laughs> Let's see what happens. Do it. Do it. <laughs> Offsides is just a, you know, a, a blue line that moves in soccer. That's all. I still don't understand that rule very well. Someday. Nobody else gets offsides in hockey, so it's the easiest rule of it all, though. It's, in soccer, it's just a blue line that moves with the last defender. That's the only difference. That's what I need to wrap my head around is that part. It's, that is the difference. Anyways, the blue line moves with the last defender. The That's abs are going to the Stanley Cup Finals for the first time in 21 years. It's just an exciting time. Exciting time. Maybe, maybe that's what you should get fingered is. Ooh, the Stanley Cup games. Finals. There we go. Yeah. Party I two. Can't, I can't even follow. The, I can't even follow the puck. The, we'll get. Uh, and I think a, a bathroom break is in order for sure. Um, and then we'll do that, and then we'll do the wrap of the second section, and go from there. Scared has to go potty. I do. I need to as well, actually. Wonderful. Break. Be right back. Hello. I had to grab a quick snack. I'm like ravenous right now. Good thing this wasn't a food chapter. <laughs> well, the rat cook is... The rat cook. That's true. That's true. It's coming. Mm-hmm. Coming in this section. Yeah, that's true. All right. Do we all feel refreshed? I'm ready to, I'm ready to rock. 